see that in engineering and science, only about 23% of their staff are women. So we can certainly do better there. On a bright note, though, however, 2016 is the first year that 50% of the astronauts are women. And this is something I think we can all be really excited about. These are such bright young women. Right. I, I have to wonder if Macy Roberts or, or um, Barbie Canwright or even Helen Ling back, you know, 40, 50 years ago would have ever imagined that, you know, they helped put man on the moon, uh, Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, but uh, that a woman would be in space, you know, if that was even if they even would have considered that possible, given all that they had been through just to be computers. Yes, it was interesting talking to Helen Ling about how she felt seeing Sally Ride and that first American woman in space. Um, and it was, it, it was quite a bit of pride for her to know that, that she was part of those missions and she's part of that success it was very exciting. Um, and I'm, I'm sure Helen is excited now, of course, too, to see uh, so many great female astronauts. Just finally, we only have about two minutes left, Nathalia Holt, but it it does strike me that many of these women paid a steep price for their careers and their contributions. Uh, A a lot of them, well, several of them had had marriages that failed or or struggled mightily. and uh, and I wonder how how important you think it is for us to also acknowledge that you know that they this was not easy and the work was challenging, but they also paid a personal price uh, in order to to make these contributions. I, I do think it's important. I, I think it's so easy today to forget what life was like in the workplace at that time, and I'm I'm often reminded of the story of Sheryl Sandberg. And how in 2004, when she was pregnant, she applied for this better parking spot at Google and was able to get it by wrangling, of course, with the founders there and really changing the culture of Google. And in her book, Lean In, she says, we stand on the shoulders of the women that came before us. And I just think that is very true. I feel very strongly that if Barbara Paulson had not been denied her parking spot in 1960, Sheryl Sandberg might not have gotten hers in 2004. And so it's important that we look back and we we see what they did sacrifice, what life really was like at that time. I think it gives us perspective that we need today. Nathalia Holt, it's been really nice speaking with you. Thank you so much. And thanks for writing this book. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Nathalia Holt is a science writer and author of the latest book, Rise of the Rocket Girls, The Women Who Propelled Us from Missiles to the Moon to Mars. She's also author of Cured, The People Who Defeated HIV. I'm Julie Rose, and that's it for Top of Mind today. We are a production of BYU Radio. Marcus Smith is our general manager. Don Shaline is our station manager. Reed Wolfley engineers the program. Tannery Taylor produces the show with help from Lauren Buchanan, Jesse Bruner, Whitney Gibbons, Esther Rady, Sage Smiley, Lauren Waddups, and Jacob Wisner. We had extra help in the booth today from Esther Rady. You can find us online if you would like to listen back or share a link to a conversation you enjoyed. BYURadio.org slash top of mind is our website. And you can find us on Twitter. We are at BYUtop. I'm Julie Rose. We'll talk soon. This has been a repeat broadcast of Top of Mind, recorded previously. BYU Radio. Talk about good.
Last time I interviewed with you, it was pouring rain. <gasps> yes. And today, it is pouring rain in Southern California. We just have to have more interviews. Oh, my goodness. Okay, we should <laughs> every day until the reservoirs are filled. Let's do it. Yes. <laughs> that, that's right. I remember that. That's cr- In California, it's raining, huh? Cool humans share miracles on the Kim Power Stilson Show. Weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern on BYU Radio. Talk about good. I'm Stephen Capperry, host of Highway 89. Join me as we feature live music performances by professional musicians and groups of all genres and give you a sneak peek into the lives of artists performing at BYU Radio's recording studios. Tune in Tuesdays at 10 Eastern on BYU Radio. You happy, Don? You feeling I'm so good? happy. I'm so happy. I got all my blues out before you know, and, and now today's... Last week was the blues. It was the blues, and we got all down and sad. We've got to bring out some sunshine. But today... Right? Come on, get happy. That's what we're doing today is, is songs that make us smile. That's that's what it's happy about. Happy music. It's happy music. But it's, uh, you know, it's whatever kind of music makes you smile. Join Music Fanatics on Through the Garage Door weekdays at 12 a.m. Eastern on BYU Radio. Talk about good. KBYU-FM, HD2, Provo. Hello, this is David Austin with the BBC News. There's been further volatility in financial markets in response to Britain's decision to leave the European Union, with some stocks being suspended temporarily. The pound has reached a new 31-year low against the dollar. Andrew Walker reports. Sterling is now more than 10% down against the dollar from its pre-referendum level. There have also been further falls in European stock markets, including London, though the losses were more moderate than on Friday in the immediate aftermath of the vote. British banks have been particularly affected, and there were temporary suspensions of trading in the shares of two of them, RBS and Barclays. Earlier in Tokyo, however, the market rebounded and recovered some of the losses it incurred at the end of last week. Earlier, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, George Osborne, sought to calm market fears, saying that the economy was as strong as it could be. He indicated that there would not be an emergency budget until a new Prime Minister was in place. Norman Smith reports. The Chancellor today sought to reassure the public and the markets by stressing there were what he called well-thought-through contingency plans for Brexit. He also made clear only the British government could trigger Article 50, beginning the two-year withdrawal process. However, his message of reassurance was tempered by a warning that the public finances would be affected. He also stressed he stood by his views about the risks involved in leaving the EU. The British Prime Minister, David Cameron, has held the first cabinet meeting of his cabinet since the referendum result to discuss a strategy for the UK's exit from the EU. His team also discussed the way ahead for the Conservative Party. Meanwhile, the leader of the main opposition Labour Party, Jeremy Corbyn, has been told by his deputy that he's lost the confidence of his parliamentary colleagues following the result of the vote. Tom Watson intervened after a string of resignations. At least half the shadow cabinet has quit. The foreign ministers of France and Germany have vowed to strengthen the European Union following Britain's decision to leave the bloc. In a joint statement, Jean-Marc Ayrault and Frank-Walter Steinmeier called for further steps towards a political union in Europe. The British government says it will not tolerate intolerance following a series of racist incidents which have been reported in the wake of the EU referendum result. A spokesman for the Prime Minister said David Cameron had told his ministers that they must clearly condemn any abuse directed towards immigrants. Jakub Krupa is the London correspondent for the Polish press agency. 
we've been hearing a lot of reports from people being racially abused on the streets of London or other cities in the UK, being basically told, go home, leave the UK, do you need any help with packing your bags and things like that? And this obviously a source of a great worry for the community, both Polish and all the other communities. That's not only limited to the Polish community. Jakub Krupa, the London correspondent for the Polish Press Agency. World News from the BBC. Spain's acting Prime Minister Mariano Rajoy says he'll try to form a coalition government within a month after elections produced a hung parliament. Mr Rajoy's Conservative People's Party won 137 seats on Sunday. It's the only major party that's gained ground since last December's inconclusive elections, but it's still short of a parliamentary majority. Turkey and Israel have revealed the details of an agreement to normalise their relations. They were ruptured six years ago when Israeli commandos killed ten activists aboard a Turkish aid ship heading for Gaza. Yoland Nell reports. Israel had already apologised for any errors that led to the deaths of Turkish activists after its commandos boarded the Mavi Mamara in 2010. It's now agreed to pay over $20 million in compensation into a fund for the families of those killed and injured. While a Turkish demand for Israel's blockade of Gaza to be lifted was refused, Turkey will be allowed to deliver aid to the Palestinian territory via the Israeli port of Ashdod. The Kenyan education minister has warned students that they'll have to pay the penalty after a group of pupils who'd been denied permission to watch a Euro 2016 football match burnt down their boarding school dormitories. Reports say pupils at the Itierio Boys High School in the town of Kisi had wanted to watch the game between Portugal and Croatia on Saturday. They weren't allowed to, so they set seven dormitories on fire. Police in Paris say thieves have broken into two safes at a warehouse and stolen luxury watches worth $3.3 million. They said the theft took place in the chic 8th district at a warehouse used by the watchmaker Richard Mille. Hong Kong plans to completely ban the trade in ivory products within five years to protect the world's dwindling number of elephants. Much of the trade is already subject to a worldwide ban, but some ivory can be legally bought and sold. Hong Kong has remained an important part of that business. That's the latest BBC News. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Happy Monday morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Brand new week. Man, let's make it a brand new... uh, I get a brand new life. Don't you think, Terry? That's sort of that's kind of dramatic. I know. Why? Because you know. Did you have a rough weekend? Had a really rough weekend. Apparently. But it's it's good because today is um, sunglasses day. Mm. It's also decide to be married day. Just it, make the decision. It's a day to make the decision and propose. Yesterday you said tomorrow. Little so advice just from. Do it. Shia LaBeouf. Your dreams come true. Just do it. Yes. That's right. That's right. Just do it. Just scream. Some people dream of success Mm. while you're going to wake up and work hard at it. Nothing is impossible. Yeah. See? I feel motivated. Do you feel motivated? Ben, you of all people need to decide to be married. Yeah. Yeah, I need to put it out to the universe and then somebody will show up, I think. Uh, You might just want to date. Really? Yeah. I wouldn't risk it with the secret. Just that, do it. That just seems just do it! harder. 
<laughs> I mean, that's one of the greatest motivational speeches ever. Right by. there. Yeah. 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 Forget Tony Robbins. Yeah. Forget him. It's also happy birthday to you day. This is the day that Mildred J. Hill wrote the melody on this date and her sister Patty Smith Hill, a teacher, wrote the lyrics to what was uh, then titled Good Morning to All. Good morning to all. You can almost hear how it would go. No, no. Please demonstrate for us. No. The class, okay. no, I will be charged. We'll be charged for it. <laughs> no, no. Uh, they, they, they erase that with the oh. court, the legal proceedings. So there's no, you know, uh, you don't have to pay the fee every time you play it. You mean the Hill sisters still aren't, you know, shaking everyone down? They didn't have it. There was somebody the, else bought the copyright and then they were brilliant. suing everybody. They were brilliant. Uh, so happy birthday to you, Day. Um, we've been trying to find other songs. That represent the happy birthday wish, but hey. without celebrating Mil- Mildred J. Hill's version. Nope. Pretty close. This is actually Ben in our uh, one of our studios. Oof. His, I think his voice is velvety. Really? One of my better works, I'd have to say. Mmm. Mm. Mm. So it's a good day, folks. We've got uh, a little happy birthday celebration there. Uh, Joe Cannon will be in studio. He's going to be helping us with all things political and walking us through some of the latest and greatest. We, I want to talk to him about Brexit and why Mitch McConnell won't just say. Did you hear that? <laughs> yeah. Mitch McConnell, just he's not going to say that Trump is qualified. He will not use the words. He'll let the people decide. Well, I'm just going to let them, I mean, but you're, you're watching it, and you can see him without even any emotion. Yeah. I mean. Know exactly that he is not going to answer that question. Who in the GOP in the, or in any, in any party would not just say, of course our candidate is qualified. Mm-hmm. Of course. And Mitch isn't going to say that. No. I mean, because you don't want video of that. No. It could totally turn on you. <laughs> not at all. So we'll talk to uh, Joe Cannon about that. But first... Let's get to the headlines with Caitlin Thomas. Find out what's going on around the rest of the country. Caitlin, what's up? Good morning, Matt. So, several people were stabbed yesterday when members of right-wing extremist groups holding a rally outside the California State Capitol building in Sacramento clashed with counter-protesters. Authorities said... Authorities say a total of 10 people were taken to the hospital. The Sacramento Fire Department says the injured included nine men and one woman ranging from 19 to 58 years old. At least five of them suffered stab wounds, so that's unfortunate. In a new poll conducted by the Washington Post and ABC News, Hillary Clinton leads Donald Trump overall 51% to 39%. Almost one-third of Republicans and Republican-leaning independents surveyed said that Trump was unqualified for office. Clinton's support also rose among registered male voters, now putting her putting her at a tie with Trump at 45%. Overall, Clinton also leads Trump 77 to 15% among non-white voters. In a Wall Street Journal and NBC News poll, Clinton leads Trump 46% to 41%. Democratic candidate Bernie Sanders said Friday that he would be willing to vote for his competitor Hillary Clinton come November, but in an interview Sunday he reiterated that he is not yet ready to formally endorse her. Clinton will have to, quote, stand up and be bolder, said Sanders, than she has been to ensure his voters, who are numerous enough to sink the Clinton campaign in the general election if they chose not to support her, will come around to the presumptive nominee, Sanders says. U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry updated his European itinerary to include stops in London and Brussels, the de facto capital of the European Union. While in each city, Kerry will meet with top diplomats to address the implications of the Brexit vote and and urge a careful approach to the, quote, leave 
process. Kerry believes a smooth transition will help the marketplace understand there are ways to minimize disruption. There are ways to smartly move ahead in order to protect the values and interests that we all share. And lastly, Matt, the Department of Homeland Security is considering a new policy which would request that foreign visitors to the United States voluntarily provide their get this, social media accounts for the feds to um, peruse. Travelers would be asked to give information associated with your online presence, including usernames on any social media network where they are active. The department argues that this information would enhance the existing investigative process. So there you uh, go. So Social media yeah. checks in order to get into the country. Well, so I guess we're assuming that a that? terrorist would actually give you their... Post their terror... <laughs> Yeah, I'm a member of, I'm a um, member of ISIS, ISIS underscore 25. Against America? Yeah. Anyway. Okay, well, that's, uh, I guess they're trying. I mean, that's the neat thing. They're at least asking for it. That's great. Good stuff. They're at least asking for it. And uh, social media, like their Snapchat, mm-hmm. their little six second. Can it be how long are they? Six seconds? I don't know. I don't know. The ones I've Ten seen. seconds. The Ten ones seconds. I've seen tend to be super long and. Don't really tell you much. I I tried using Snapchat the other day, and I ended up just shooting a video of myself and sending it to... Here's my feet. Yeah. Here's my feet in bed watching This didn't go as planned. (laughs) Something's not quite right. Uh, Interesting thing going on with Brexit. So first they vote. Now everyone's like, well, maybe Scotland can nullify the entire thing. Possibly. And, but they said it's a long shot. And, and maybe the parliament uh, could still vote against it. Possibly. Again, you'd be overturning what the people have said, which would cause it's, a, it's a like, problem there. It's almost like they shot the gun and then they thought, what if we hit some? Yeah. <laughs> and so now they got to go back and try to figure out what what's the government going to look like? How now, do we now, redo this? There's a story of a petition Yes, that has 300 people who have – Gone online and clicked add me to the list. It's not like a signature, but you know, yeah. and it, and it's pro- it's the equivalent of a whitehouse.gov. Uh, uh, what uh, what do they call these? Like can, a, yeah, a um, a petition. Mm-hmm. I guess you could sign up for it. And with the whitehouse.gov, if it hits a certain threshold of people who have signed on, then they'll address it. Interesting. It doesn't mean it'll do anything. Yeah. So that's what's happening with the, the, this petition you'll hear about with 3 million people who have signed on. It's just a website. But it's, it's not nothing official. It won't, it won't flip anything. But there is, I mean, there, there is some provisions that have been given to allow um, – like we were talking about it last week. There's a certain threshold when it comes to voter turnout. Yeah. And then does either side of the, the argument get a certain percentage? And it didn't reach that threshold. So there is a, a precedent they could go for, but I think it would cause so much turmoil to flip it. It's a big, it's a big, big deal. And it almost seems like now that they won, it's like they didn't think that they would win. Because there, it seems like the country is surprised at um, the backlash. It and, almost seemed on both sides because the people that wanted to stay were confident that reason right. would rule the day. Yeah. And all of our experts and these economists and everyone would listen to this and they would know that the leaving would be the, the worst thing we could do. But they, again, as we've kind of seen with the Trump campaign over here, people underestimated the anger yeah. with people and, and the regulations, I guess, that are coming from the European Union towards England has caused people to, uh, to vote to leave. Last week, they're like, okay, get out of here fast. You're mm. done. We're done with you. Get it. And now they're like, slow down. 
just figure this out. And then the questions become, who will be – if this upsets the UK and as a government, they can't kind of – they can't get their feet back on solid ground very quickly, then who becomes the favored status or the favored European country to work with? Germany's already doing a lot of great work. Merkel's pretty stable. Mm-hmm. So well, does, does Germany start to – I mean as long as she stays yeah. in power. But her, I mean her government has been fairly stable. Uh, Obama and Merkel have had a really good relationship. What happens to the EU? <laughs> this is crazy. And what's the big deal? What happens with the United States? We're going to ask Joe a lot of those questions. Joe Cannon, who's – he's just he's just in the know. Joe, Joe knows. And by the way, that Johnson guy, what's his name? Boris Johnson. Yeah. I'm telling you. He and Donald, yeah. twins. He's got great hair. They are like... See, I think Boris's hairdo would be what Donald's hair would be if Donald didn't use any product. Right? Donald's yeah. actually got some gel, some yeah. mousse, something going on up there. <laughs> Boris doesn't care. No, Boris just likes wind. He just wakes up and off we go. But they really look like two angry, successful stories from the hair club for men. It really worked well. Look at all this. You know what I mean? But like successful, like they killed it. Yeah. But they they do look a lot like. Miracle grow for hair. So you can only imagine that if now Trump wins and Boris wins, can you imagine those summits? (laughs) (laughs) The summit pictures when they're like, ah, can you guys fix your hair? No, it's fixed. (laughs) Anybody need a comb for Boris? He's in a permanent state of disheveledness. It is. It's horrible. Yeah. We um, Back here in the United States, uh, interesting little uh, Mitch McConnell moment. We talked about it earlier. Uh, Mitch McConnell will just flat out, he's not going to say if he thinks Trump is qualified to be president or not. Listen to this. 64% of Americans say they don't think that Donald Trump is qualified to be president. Do you believe he's qualified? And how do you convince all those voters who think he isn't? Well, look, I, I think there's no question that he's made a number of mistakes over the last few weeks. I think they're beginning to right the ship. It's a long time until November, and the burden obviously will be on him to convince people that he can handle this uh, job. I didn't hear you say whether you thought he was qualified. Look, that'll be up to the American people to decide. You know, he won the, uh, the Republican nomination fair and square. He got more votes than anybody else. The American people will be able to make that decision in the fall. <laughs> he's not going to say it. He's not saying it. Well, no, but so 64% of people, you can't ask a politician uh, as skilled as Mitch McConnell. You can't start with a poll that says 64% of people don't think Trump is qualified. Do you think he's qualified? Um, The guy is just, he's dead. He's dead if he says yes. He's dead if he says no. Uh, You know, it's the people's decision. The people people are going to have to decide that. The people. Here's here's another uh, clip. Mitch McConnell, um, will Republicans remain in the conservative party if uh, Donald Trump leaves? One of the other things the poll shows is that only 77 percent of Republicans are now supporting uh, Donald Trump. That's a, a number you can't win if the number is, is that low. How can Mr. Trump win if the party is this divided? The Republican Party is still going to be America's conservative party. America needs two parties. We have a liberal party and a conservative party. If you look at the platform that will be written at our convention, we are not changing the basic principles that Republicans believe in. Our nominee may not agree with every single one of those, but the Republican Party it will remain America's conservative party. Mm. But will it? So, despite the candidate, we're going to stay the course. Yeah. But 
Yeah, despite the candidate that's really not a real conservative, right? Yeah. I mean, the real conservatives were all destroyed mm-hmm. in the election. He, I mean, he's known to be at least a moderate. So the platform for the party will yeah. not reflect the candidate. It's it's an interesting thing because um, they didn't like McCain, mm-hmm. the the GOP party in general, I guess. Uh, I mean, enough to nominate him. They didn't like Romney, nominated him. Both moderates. I mean, moderate Republicans. But there, I remember both of them going into the convention. They didn't quite fully, you know, buy into every single aspect yeah. of the Republican platform. Right, right. There were things that went further than what they wanted yeah. to go. But it was the conservative so. wing, right, and the evangelical wings that didn't like those two. Mm-hmm. But so now you have somebody that the moderate wing doesn't really like. But the conservatives supposedly do, but he's not conservative. No. He's just a brute. I mean, it's a weird <laughs> it's a weird choice, right? I mean, you just you just picked well, up muscle. When you ask people, they, they, they do polling and you find out why people vote for voted for him and, and support him, it's because he is able to um, express their anger. Oh, so he's just angry. He says it the way it is. He doesn't try, you know, he tells yeah. the truth. He doesn't sit there and try to couch things right. and, and be political. He just says it the way it is. And people like that honesty. But is that really conservative? I don't think that's what they're thinking no, maybe, about. It. I think they're angry. Maybe we now have a progressive party, more liberal, I guess. That's the Dems. Uh, then we have the conservative party. That is the uh, the a certain percentage of the Republican. And then we just have kind of the angry the angry party. That's the other half of – maybe the other half of the progressives and that's the Bernie Sanders Trump. But will they will, – will the, oh, see, Trump's going to get the Bernie Sanders angry people. If they can overlook everything he talks about. Oh, yeah. That is against what they've been pushing for. Are you for more angry or are you just, yeah. you know. Principled. Hmm. We're going to ask Joe. Joe will know. Joe will know. Is there a new party in play here, folks? The American Angry Party just named it. We'll see. Interesting stuff, folks. Stick with us. We're going to be talking politics up next with Joe Cannon. He's uh, he's in the know, and he's going to walk us through uh, some of his thinking, his head on Brexit and on uh, Trump. What's going on is, you know, it's Clinton's loss of calendar items going to matter. Does it ever? Stick with us. We'll find out. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. In studio with this is our good friend, Joe Cannon. Uh, Joe is just – he's in the know, folks, and he's hes pretty much um, been actively involved in politics for, what, 30-plus years, Joe? Have you been that – in for 30 years? You're not old enough for that. Well, actually, I walked precincts. I walked precincts for Barry Goldwater in oh, 1964. Yeah. So it's been a little more than 30 years. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. See, you were – You've always been driven politically. 
I was chairman of the Teenage Republicans of the 42nd Congre- or 42nd Assembly District in <laughs> the San Fernando Valley in Southern gonna, California. So this must be – what's going on, Joe? You've got to straighten this out because the world is upside down. Brexit is causing major issues. Trump in the United States causing issues. Um, where do you want to begin? Should we start Brexit? Because that is – that's the big well, I, upset. I, I, for a lot of people. Oh yeah, yeah. I think the uh, kind of going back to your just your your intro. Uh, there are a lot of things apparently upside down in the world. Yeah, and they're upside down, especially if you're an establishment type person in the UK or in in the right. US. You you can't explain a lot of the phenomena the phenomena that's going on. So yeah, Brexit is Brexit is probably somewhat emblematic, and I think there are. Well, the ramifications in general, there may be ramifications for the United States uh, elections also. So, but just taking it as, as it came in, in England, I stayed up all night just yeah. like it was uh, just like it was a regular election, you know, watching my son and I were texting. One of my sons and I were texting back and forth and um, it was very interesting and no one predicted it. Right. Uh, although everyone predicted it would be close, but I don't think anyone really believed they would do that, it, that they would do it. And so that was interesting. Uh, and is it, it just fear? Is it is it fear that uh, you know the all of the the um, refugees of Europe are going to slowly make their way to Europe? Is it there? Is it they're being controlled by other nations? Was it sovereignty? What was the main um, impetus? I, I okay, I don't know, and it's not. I just don't know. And yeah. I don't know if any polls know no. right now. There were no exit polls, which is very frustrating. Yeah, why didn't they? Yeah, <laughs> so well, like the press didn't know. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know why they didn't, but they didn't do exit polls. So we don't know, for example, how many labor voters voted to exit because both the Labor Party and the Conservative Party right. were all in on remain, on stay. And yet several of the labor constituencies Slid went away. overwhelmingly for uh, uh, leave. Oh, interesting, <clears throat> which, which actually could parallel – uh, Democrats leaving the party to vote for a Trump. Well, they could. Maybe we'll come to that yeah. in a minute. But the other – both parties – so on the on the night, Cameron resigned and said, I'm, I'm leaving. Somebody else has to do this. But in the Labor Party, the, I just read this morning, something like half of all the shadow ministers – OK, the way the party system works over there, you've got the party who's out of power. But they have sort of the shadow chancellor of the exchequer, et cetera. Oh, okay. Half of them left because they thought that their leader, Jeremy Corbyn, didn't do a good enough job. So Fighting there's, against So it. there's like deep turmoil in oh. both parties. So it, 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 that's just another interesting yeah. ramification of it. Why do they do it? Well, no uh, – one way to look at it is they they might have done the right thing for the wrong reason. So it could have been fear of immigration. Yeah. But some pretty smart people were saying one reason that labor people voted against it is because it wasn't immigration the way that you might think right. about it. Uh, um, uh, some listeners might remember Enoch Powell, a member of parliament in the 60s, 70s and a little later. Uh, gave a speech called Rivers of Blood because of immigra- immigrants coming in. <laughs> he was roundly thrown out. But but I think the immigrants that lots of people worried about is in the in the European community, in that whole market, yeah. labor is free to go wherever Shift it wants. Shift around. Of, of whatever race. And so what you had is 
laborers in Britain who have it pretty good. There are things about working in Britain that are better than working in other countries. They're, they're not afraid necessarily of Sudanese or Somali. Right. Okay. They're afraid of just German Anybody engineers coming, coming over in to take and their taking jobs. their jobs. So that was one reason. Okay. I think there was a deep sovereignty reason yeah, yeah. that people just got tired of unelected, faceless, very powerful, um, unresponsive bureaucrats mm-hmm. in Brussels telling them what to do. I mean, there are regulations on the shape of bananas. I'm not making this up. I mean, there are there are just like that banana is not long enough or something. That not long enough, is... not the right curvature. I don't know what there, but I just, yeah. I just heard one British. But the bureaucracy too. I mean, that right? Yeah. It was it was almost overwhelming the Brussels bureaucracy. Yeah, and and they they felt powerless to mm-hmm. do anything. Okay, this is the country that 801 years ago gave us Magna Carta. So right. within a week of this. Uh, about a week from the anniversary of Magna Carta, you had a lot of Brits kind of doing what they do and what yeah. they've been doing yeah. for hundreds of years, saying, wait wait a second, we are a sovereign country and we have individual liberty, a lot of which they felt was at peril by right. by Brexit. Now, is it the right thing? Well, I don't know. The markets are still oh, in turmoil today. Down. The pound is way down. Um they started coming back a little bit on Friday in the U.S. We'll see what happens There today. seems to be a lot of questions yeah. on how the government's even going to run now. And right, right. It's like they weren't even thinking it would pass. Right. I don't think anyone really planned on it passing. So, so now the forces of leave are trying to coalesce and say, mm-hmm. what does that mean? And then, of course, you've got both parties in turmoil. And we're just, fighting for a new uh, prime minister, I guess. Yeah. Right, and so there's going to have to be an election there, and so it'll be it'll be very interesting yeah. what goes on and how the markets react to it. Uh, how does the U.S. What does it impact us? I mean, other than our markets and our, I guess our loyalties. Who's our new ally? Well, um, you can't, Britain has always been. You our can't ally. get rid of Great Britain. Britain right? has always been our ally. They are the second strongest, maybe sometimes the strongest economy in Europe. Uh, they trade. They're going to continue to yeah. trade. We're going to continue to trade with them. And I, at one level, part of me just says when all the dust settles, it's pretty hard to see how many things aren't just the same. Mm-hmm. And if you're Britain, they might be better. better. Uh, you're, for one thing for sure is you're not spending hundreds of millions of pounds right. to, to, to uh, Europe. So, and your hands probably aren't as tied right. bureaucratically. Your borders, I guess, might feel more secure. They might be. I, I mean, a lot of the things people thought they were getting up might not be there right. e- on either side. Right, right. So it's it's just hard to say. I think right now the reaction of markets is to turmoil, change, uh, uncertainty. What's actually going to happen? Markets love certainty; they hate uncertainty. Mm-hmm. So, um, who who has the advantage? Does this help in the U.S. more of a Clinton or Trump? Well, you know, it's so hard to say that. First of all, Trump is doing almost everything he can possible to self-immolate in his campaign. <laughs> so I, I don't know. He's burning uh, up. I don't know how, how that's going to work. I mean, on the face of it, I don't think it helps Hillary. She voted – not voted. She it was a very strong proponent of Remain. Yeah. Uh, Trump was a proponent of leave. 
but I'm not sure he even knew what he was talking about. He's in Scotland, yeah. and he congratulates the Scots right. on their courageous vote and they were there, for independence. They voted and against that it. was the most overwhelming <laughs> vote in favor of Remain was Scotland. And the the night that very night, the yeah. the uh, the woman who's the sort of leader of the Scottish Party says, "Oh, okay, we're going to have another referendum. Maybe we right. will get out of here right. now." So, did you hear too the whole first five or ten minutes of that day? His first part of his announcement didn't mention Brexit at all. It yeah. just was talking about his club and the amenities of his golf club. It, it, sprinkler heads, yeah. <laughs> and you know, <laughs> yeah, I, like I'm not sure how. Are you missing this was. moment? Yeah, Donald? Yeah, it's a huge moment. <laughs> um, on the other hand, there's. Uh, it's the old '60s song. There's something happening here. What it is yeah. ain't exactly clear. clear. Um, Something's going on. Something's happening. Like almost a fall of globalism. Yeah. yeah maybe, maybe, maybe not quite that dramatic. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe what you've got. I mean, Margaret Thatcher was elected in 1979. The year before Reagan, some people saw yeah. that as a prelude okay. or a, a precursor. Yeah. I don't know if this rises to that level. Uh, Ronald Reagan is not – Donald Trump is not Ronald no, Reagan. Reagan and uh, Hillary Clinton is not Jimmy Carter for that matter. Uh, so there are you know, significant true, differences. Huh? But there could be undergirding, underlying fears, uh, frustration, yeah. anxiety – Partly about immigration, partly about central government. Those, those issues could be pretty similar. I mean, they are, you know, we are cousins with those folks oh, over yeah. there. We are part of the Anglo American system, and, you know, we're two countries separated by a common language. Well, and there seems yeah. to be kind of a middle, uh, middle class issue of loss of jobs, loss of identity, loss, loss of, of power. power, loss yeah, of money. Yeah. So interesting. Does it. We, we hear, um, you know, we hear Barack Obama making his position very clear. But I mean, does it matter what a sitting U.S. president really thinks of Brexit for the people of England? Well, I mean, it, it didn't seem to sway anything. And yeah, it, it, it didn't help. It might have hurt. Might have hurt. Interesting. Yeah. Somebody, so there were some Brits who said, you know, thank you, but. No Stay thinking. out of our we'll, business. We'll kind of deal mm-hmm. with our own business. We don't come over and tell you yeah. what to do. So I, I, I'm not sure. President Obama's had a few losses, right, in the, in the Supreme Court with the immigration uh, stalemate. Is How does this bode for him? How does it bode for Hillary Clinton? And is are those good coattails to be hanging on to? Well, uh, Secretary Clinton is clearly campaigning for a third Obama yeah. term. I mean, she, she says that and she has to say that because she has to keep as the much coalition. intact as possible that Obama coalition. So she's not going to be running away from that. I don't read actually anything into the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court is basically divided 4-4. Four, four. Yeah. And so if a if a case comes up from a circuit – However, that circuit decides it is going to be what ends up happening in in many cases, not not all cases. I mean, there are yeah. there there are some times when that won't be the case. We'll see. This week is going to be pretty interesting. There are going to be uh, some decisions reported out, but but by and large, I, I don't think you're going to attribute much mm-hmm. to the fact that you've got four basically four liberals and four conservatives and. On many issues so far, they're just divided. It seems like he'll help in a way because he can go campaign for her. He can go raise money for her. Oh, 
he can be immensely helpful to her. Yeah. Uh, uh, both in fundraising and in really And his numbers are okay, right? Uh, his, and, good and, enough. and going after his constituents saying if you like me, if you supported me, if you want a continuation of my policies, you better get out and support uh, Hillary Clinton. Hmm. So, no, I think he'll be a player. He's already he's already a player. I mean, yeah. he's, uh, he's already endorsed her. He's already you know a, a very you know significant chunk of his team mm-hmm. is already on her team. So, Bernie Sanders, it seems like, still won't concede, but has said that. It looks like he's not the nominee. He's kind of gone that far. Do you do you sense um, that they're saying that it looks like Donald could still maybe get a third to a quarter, twenty five percent of his followers? You, you know, think that? Do you some think people that's say possible? that. I mean, some polls say that. I I'm just very skeptical. At the end of the day, I'm that you, that uh, the kind of person who would support Bernie Sanders would, would be the kind of person who would vote for Donald Trump. Um, Having said that, I could imagine quite a lot of them not voting at all. I mean, yeah, just a lot out. of them also don't like Hillary Clinton. So I, I but I just don't see them crossing over and mm-hmm. voting for Trump. I, I could be wrong. Mm. But of course, I've been wrong on most things. No, you have on, not. On, we we've, on we've been keeping a score. Year. You've been fairly accurate. Uh, we'll have a break more with Joe Cannon, our uh, insider. He, you know what, folks? He really uh, just a good friend of the show, and we appreciate him spending time sharing his wisdom. Stick with us. We're going to continue the discussion. So much to get to, including George Will leaving the Republican Party. Are you kidding me? Is this like the fat lady singing, apparently? Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend. We'll be right back. Townsend Show in studio with this Joe Cannon, our good friend, and he's walking us through, uh, you know, he's, he's just basically, I'm firing questions at him about the political world. Joe's in the know, and uh, if you want more information about what he's doing now, go to fuelfreedom.org. Uh, he's the CEO there and the founder of Fuel Freedom, which is trying to help us lower our, our uh, fuel costs here in the United States. Joe, welcome back, my friend. Thanks, Matt. Okay. What do you think, uh, going now to Trump, um, Mitch McConnell, Senate Majority Leader, won't just outright say Donald Trump is qualified to be president. 64% of the U.S. apparently don't think he's qualified, and Mitch McConnell is not going to say he is. Right. Well, a significant percentage – I. I I'm sorry that I forgot the number. I'm embarrassed. But I think it was more than half of actually Republican voters say that he's not qualified. <laughs> so um, now that doesn't mean they might not vote for him. Right. Uh, right. Because there's the – for if, if you're a conservative Republican, there's the fearful specter you know, of the other side. So, so – but McConnell – I think there are a couple of things at play. For certain, Trump is not – McConnell's kind of guy, right? Forget about uh, whether McConnell's establishment or not establishment. He's not his kind not of Mitch's guy. guy. That's, so that's. But the other part of it that I see both in McConnell and in Ryan is, hey, you know, we have three branches of government, and those guys are leaders in one of those branches, right. and they're 
basically saying, okay, normally we'd be on the same team. This guy's not necessarily on our team. Um, so we're, we're supporting him. I mean, neither yeah. of them has backed away from their support, but I would say tepid is probably the best <laughs> you could say about how are support you? We're tepid. for <laughs> our support is, te- but, and two, they've got, they've got to protect their own people, right? They've got to protect congressmen, congresswomen, senators from, and almost separate them from Trump. Yeah, if if there is a bloodbath, if Trump really does go down, it could have a very negative effect on yeah. on the respective bodies on the House and the Senate. Yeah. See, Trump won the primaries in such a in such a strange fashion. It was an anomaly um without really any real organization, just shooting from the hip, dominating the media, 2 billion dollars I guess worth. But it doesn't seem like that's realistic to win a presidency without organization, without fundraising, without feet on the ground, without getting out the vote. And none of those things seem to be what Donald is doing. About right. Well, we don't know. A couple of things are happening. Okay. I mean, he did fire his campaign yeah. manager, Lewandowski, by the way, is now a commentator on CNN. What is that? Uh, that's uh, that's a different – we got to okay. talk about that, but that's a little different subject. But yeah. yeah. Uh, so, they, so he fired him. And, and I think the reason he was fired is almost as interesting as, as the fact it was right. – I think his kids his got family. together who seemed to be pretty normal. Yeah. I almost you know, want them to run. Yeah. They seem pretty normal, pretty articulate. And I think they said, Dad – you're killing us. You're you're embarrassing us. This is kind of bad. This could go down. Now, be that guy you think that you are. Be that businessman. Yeah. Look at this as a business problem. You got a bad team on the field. Right. You better get another team on the field. Uh, yeah, you they they got you where you are. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. We have no idea. I mean, yeah. Trump was just Trump. Yeah. Um, but he's in danger and maybe he has made fatal mistakes. You have to have a whole party to win. Right. The, the the truth that there's never been a third party. Well, he's like almost making himself a third party. I don't need those conservatives. I don't need this do guy. I don't him. need that guy. I can just do without him. I I go. Man, I got this far on my own, and I can get all the way across on my own. Well, uh, the polls are starting to be really shockingly negative. I mean, they're of course they're the national polls, and I think Hillary's ahead by seven and a half percent on yeah. average. Yeah. Uh, there have been a couple of polls that looked okay for him. Like the NBC made it. NBC Wall Street Journal was one point, and then like the ABC was ten points. And or, there was another one that was like eleven. How points do you or swing? Yeah, that's a weird swing. Well, I guess depends. I'm I'm guessing the average is pretty right. You know, yeah, that that he's move. She's moving into double digit yeah. territory. So the comeback to that on the part of a bunch of people is well, yeah, but look at the look at the states. If you look at the right. battleground states, it's quite a bit closer but even there all, all the recent polls show Had her up and away. him going down so i think uh, his kids are saying hey dad mm-hmm. you know you wrote this art of the deal you're supposed to be a really good businessman you got a problem here right yeah okay you can be arrogant egomaniacal and say no my way or the highway great but if you want to win i mean you got there's it. a famous phrase do you want to win or do you want to feel good Trump seems a lot about wanting to feel good, thinking that that'll make him win. But winning 
There's a lot of blocking and tackling into winning. Right. No, right. Exactly. And, and, and that's why you need a team, right? So having gotten rid of his campaign manager could be could be an indication. And he did give a speech. With a teleprompter. That was with a teleprompter that he read word for word. Uh-huh. And, and it got I, – I thought it was a little harsh myself. It's not kind of where I am in life. But it was still a pretty – good political speech and viewed as such mm-hmm. by people like Mitch McConnell. The problem is, is, you know, they get right up to the edge. Look, maybe he's going to be a, a good him. candidate. And then he, <laughs> then he, then he goes to Scotland and talks about right. sprinkler heads on, right. on golf courses, uh, you know, so it's discipline on the message. It's, but see, well, that's kind of what a team brings you, right? Right. And, and, and so he does have a pretty smart guy. Paul Manafort is a pretty smart guy. He has a long, long history. And he knows what it takes. I think his kids are saying, yeah. Dad, come on. It's just a few months. Can you just – you know, <laughs> I had a friend. Yeah, I don't even know how to go to that story. But, you know, can you just pretend to be like a grown-up grown for the next <laughs> few months? OK, just do that. Yeah. Just listen to this guy, Paul Manafort, and other people. You know, maybe you can get there. Did – it's in a way, uh, it still kind of has the more actual conservative members of the of the press and all of uh, of the party a little worried. Like George Will, George Will has now. In fact, we've got uh, we've got a just an audio bit that we want to play about George Will, sure. and then I want you to respond to it. After Trump went after the Mexican judge from Northern Indiana, then Paul Ryan endorsed him. And I decided that, in fact, this is not my party anymore. I changed my registration to unaffiliated 23 days ago. So the long and the short of it is, as Ronald Reagan said when he changed his registration, uh, I did not leave the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party left me. Now, not surprisingly, Donald Trump has tweeted his reaction to this news today. Let's put it up on the screen. He says that you are overrated and that you lost your way a long time ago. Would you like to respond, oh, Mr. Trump? He has an advantage on me because he can say everything he knows about any subject in 140 characters and I can't. <laughs> All right. That's a great line. George Will. I mean, really kind of, I guess, the beacon of conservatism. So I love George Will. I've loved George Will for decades. And... Uh, uh, he's a great guy. Baseball and, guy too, by the way. Baseball guy, yeah. No, you've got like the best of all worlds, yeah. politics and baseball. What else is there? Well, there might be other <laughs> Religion. things. Religion. Okay. <laughs> There's other things, Jeff. You know that. Um, wow. What do you think? I, I will say I have said myself when people have asked me, gosh, how do you feel about all this? And I feel like – I say I feel like an orphan. I feel like I'm, I'm out. But uh, – the Republican Party has survived a lot of things. Yeah. And it will survive Donald Trump. The Republican Party did not leave George Will the same way the Democratic Party left Ronald Reagan. Right. And you know, there's still uh, it's still a party. It's still a, an agglomeration. We've talked about this before. It's made up of a lot of different constituencies. Mm-hmm. Trump managed to cobble together a couple of them, which didn't happen to include. Um, the intellectual conservative movement. Uh, all of those people, many of those people, feel like orphans. I guess, I guess Newt Gingrich has managed to find his way to be a Trump Back loyalist. To, right. But um, but a lot of people feel like, gosh, well, that's not really my party. Yeah. So I can completely empathize with George Will, but he's wrong. The the party hasn't left in the yeah. same way. Do. do 
So everyone's always saying, well, you can't – so you can't vote for Hillary. But what do you do if you really can't vote for Trump? Well, you write somebody in. Is that, <laughs> That's is that what you do. I mean, I mean uh, do you think anyone right now could – Mount a write-in candidacy? No, no, no. no. I don't. I mean, think even that. with just, just big saying, money and big name. Yeah, you'd have to be a really big name, not known to us now. You'd have to have a lot of money. There's no way to do a write-in campaign. Zero chance on that. There's also zero or next to zero chance on a third party. Arguably, Trump is a third party candidate, yeah, and yeah. that could be part of the problem. So, a lot of people going to the polls now. You know, it depends on where you live. If you live in Utah, if you live in California, if you live in New York. You know, states that are all red or all blue, you have the luxury of voting, um, writing somebody in. Yeah. Uh, if you live in Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, North no Carolina, Florida, and you're a Republican, you have a much, much tougher choice. And that could be why Trump isn't going to win because that tough choice might just make you say, I can't vote and I can't vote here. Because between Johnson and the Green Party uh, female candidate – um, they've got 16% of the vote. Right. And, you know, that could be a pretty solid number. Usually it's not a solid number, but it is a place yeah. for the Sanders people to go and it's a place for the Trump people to go. There are plenty of Republicans slash libertarians that could end up voting on the libertarian side. I mm. I, I am not one of them, but, yeah. the, but there could be it's, uh, plenty. It's an interesting year. They've put people in, I think, a weird place because it's also like Trump's not doing as well in Arizona. He's maybe losing a little ground in Utah. There's certain states that won't that Nevada, aren't liking Nevada, Idaho. I mean, but he's doing okay, I guess, in Pennsylvania, or maybe okay enough in Ohio or Florida that he could win the swing states, but still might lose some of those other states that he well, they always held dear. Having been wrong on primaries all along here, I'll just go on record. I doubt very much that Trump will lose Utah. Or uh, uh, Idaho or yeah. – well, Nevada is always an issue. Yeah, Nevada is at best a purple state. Now they, but he has it, a casino yeah. there, right? Well, he, so he could he, – he, yeah. Maybe he can twist but some. But I, I think he'll take Nevada. I yeah. do think that. I think he'll take Colorado. Yeah, yeah, um, which is big. And I think he'll take Arizona. I don't think he'll take New Mexico. I mean not only – normally it's uh, – well, it's a Johnson state, but normally – that's a Democrat state anyway. But when you go in and you insult the Republican governor Suzanne in a Martina. crass, stupid way, you're going to say, well, OK, I'm, I'm not going to be competitive. I'm not going to be competitive in New Mexico if, right. if we ever had a chance. Right. So, Oh, man, Joe. What uh, – as we wrap up, what, what are we not paying attention to? What should we be having our eye on? Well, there was a wonderful talk last night right here, right next door to this, this uh, studio uh, at the Marriott Center where – Elder D. Todd Christofferson, one of the Twelve Apostles, gave a fabulous, thoughtful, penetrating talk on religious liberty and attacks on yeah. religious liberty. Very, a very important talk. And uh, I, I will still say the issue of our day could well end up being religious liberty and the threats and to uh, religious liberty to, to religious liberty. Well, and 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 meanwhile, Trump and the whole Muslim ban. Is isn't that why some of the backlash in the West? Why some states like Utah that have a, a little bit more of a Mormon following don't necessarily jive with Trump? Yeah, well, no. There have been articles in the Washington Post, the New York Times, Politico, and yeah. other places on Trump's Mormon problem, and they all mention an, an element of that is this anti-immigration, anti, you know, uh, religion, religious 
kind Tolerance. of this labeled thing mm-hmm. is is a problem for a lot of people. By the way, he started to back away a little bit from yeah. the, the Muslim ban. Did, now. Exactly. You know, he's saying, oh, well, maybe that was a little over. Maybe we just don't want Muslims from like bad, bad Muslim, bad countries. Muslim country, yeah, bad, bad, Muslim. bad. Those bad Muslims. We we don't want them. But it's yeah. okay if they come from like Indonesia <laughs> or some other place. Oh my heavens! Yeah. yeah so religious, uh, religious freedom is. It, I think you're right. It'll be a big issue for the next 10 years, don't you think? Oh, or more. Well, it, it, it could be the civil rights issue of the next period, uh, yeah. Joe, we appreciate it. Thanks, Matt. Keep Thanks up the great me. work. Joe Cannon's his name. Go to fuelfreedom.org. Great place to uh, find out more about his great work fighting for your fuel costs. So, folks, we'll take a break. Come right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, again, this is still uh, this is still your this is still your presidential race, folks. This this is what being an American is all about. You get the chance to educate yourself, uh, to find a candidate that uh, you can get behind, learn everything you can about that candidate, and then step up and vote. I mean, it's you may not like Donald. But there are other candidates out there and um, even other parties. It's, it is an interesting um, position George Will had to take being such a strong conservative. But also there comes a point, too, where your values, your principles, your, your beliefs of how people should be treated also um, should become part of this decision as well. So this is a situation where you know maybe you forget the party failing you. It might be time to make sure that you you understand what your own values, your own principles are. You know, why are you a Republican? Why are you a Democrat, really? Or is it personality? Is it politics of personality? Is it just that, you know, Barack Obama was so suave and cool? Or are there real principles you believe in? And then what party best represents those principles? And how involved are you going to get? This is your America. So... Uh, just challenge you as we try to help you see the good in the world. Why don't you also go step up? If you don't see the good in your party, then go be the good in your party. Make sense? Basic stuff, folks. We'll take a break. Come back. We got two more hours of the Matt Townsend Show coming up. Stick with us, helping you see the good in the world and become the good in the world. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side, helping you understand the crazy world you live in. Sometimes, you know, you just get the news, but you don't get a a deeper cut. On this show, we like to go to the experts and let them explain some of the bigger news stories you've heard. Do you remember uh, Harambe? I think that was his name, the gorilla that was shot in uh, the Cincinnati Zoo. Do you remember the outcry? So many people were so angry that the gorilla was killed. Or do you remember the lion that was poached or, yeah, illegally killed? in Africa by a dentist here in the United States. 
Well, we we have um, a researcher that will be coming on the show in a few minutes talking about why these deaths of these animals are so traumatic for so many people. You know, I mean, humans die all the time. We hear those stories in the news, but you then hear of a of a of a gorilla dying and uh, or being shot and killed, and it becomes a major traumatic even maybe more traumatic than you might think. So we'll be speaking with a a social psychologist and author of the book, The Mind Club, Dr. Kurt Gray. He will be walking us through some of his insights um, on that topic. Plus, of course, more headlines, more information. In fact, a lot of news you'd think you don't need to know. But we're going to get it to you and uh, because that's how much we care. We want to let you in on, for example, not to eat 15-centimeter nails. There's a reason you don't eat those. They'll kill you. So we'll talk about that, plus a bunch of other fun information and a little coach's corner for you. But first, let's get to the national headlines with Caitlin Thomas. Caitlin, what's going on around the rest of the country? Oh, well, again, Matt, we have a new poll now conducted by the Wall Street Journal and NBC News that says Clinton leads Trump. Again, 46% to 41%. But her leads among certain minority voting groups are large. Among African Americans, she leads 87% to 5%. Among Latinos, it's 69% to 22%. And among women, it's 52% to 35%. So in a poll conducted by the Washington Post and ABC News, Hillary Clinton leads Donald Trump overall 51% to 39%. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell is supporting Republican presumptive nominee Donald Trump for president, but he isn't saying, at least for now, whether he thinks the business mogul is actually up to the job. McConnell twice declined on ABC's This Week Sunday to straight out to say straight out that Trump is qualified to be president. McConnell said the decision is up to the American people, so a little bit vague there. At least 25 people are dead and several more missing after historic floods washed through West Virginia. The National Weather Service has issued a flash flood watch for at least 25 West Virginia counties today. Authorities have yet to start sizing up the flood damage in West Virginia, but it is drawing comparisons to November's 1985 flood that remained the state's most expensive natural disaster with more than $570 million in damage. So that's really unfortunate. We're hoping everyone over there is okay. A deadly wildfire in Central California has burned 200 homes, many belonging to retirees on fixed incomes with few other possessions. The 58-square-mile fire has claimed at least two lives, and officials warned the death toll may rise. Firefighters are hoping to take advantage of lighter winds, though a dry air mass over the area will continue to bring high temperatures and low humidity. Firefighters were aiming to have the blaze fully contained by Thursday. A total of about 1,700 firefighters are battling the blaze and combing through debris for hot spots. So, again, hoping, sending some love over to California. And lastly, Matt, a Virgin American flight en route to Los Angeles from Newark was was diverted to Denver Saturday night after a man on board started acting bizarrely, spreading wired devices out in the aisle and waving his fingers in fellow passengers' faces. Upon landing, the unruly man was escorted off the flight by police, according to statements from Virgin America and Denver International Airport. No threat to passengers and crew on the plane. And the man was not arrested. So, fun fact. He was... Spreading wired devices out yeah. in the aisle. But the great thing is ben, doing? ben still made it to work Monday. Right. <laughs> Hi, Ben. That it, was amazing. We're happy It was here. a miracle to be What honest. were the wired devices you were spreading out all over the... Um, I, I'll tell you after the show. Yeah, I don't want to say tell. it on air. Yeah. <sighs> He's crazy. They're really, really cool, though. They were flip phones. 
They still use it. And they had all the different chargers. Yeah. Just laid them all out. This one's got a charger for the car. But you know how it is. You you, you pull open that drawer, you got all the chargers in there. They're all all wired, wrapped I spent my whole weekend. You're unraveling everything. You need some space. You're just spreading out. So we have a video camera from 1990. Really? With the VHS? We have a 2000 camera. Wow. We have a 2010 camera. You can discard those. Yeah. In a responsible way, but we, still. We you know, have a them. Sony, uh, what was it called? Something cam that cost us $1,200 about 14 years ago. Wow. And we looked it up to see what we could get for it. $5. That's right. <laughs> it's now a paperweight. It was so disappointing because even four years ago, we I think we looked it up, we could get $400 mm-hmm. four or five years ago. But now my uh, eight-year-old's or my 11-year-old's um, – Silly little iPhone four mm-hmm. has a better camera, yeah. better processing, absolutely everything. Yeah. Ah, yeah. So I threw away a million chargers, which I'm sure I'll regret. There will be one that I'll be like, "Hey, where's this one?" Mm-hmm. And I threw it away, but I couldn't look at the wires anymore. And then I gave them to Ben. Next thing you know, Ben takes them on an airplane, starts throwing them everywhere. Huh? I've got a bomb. What are you gonna do? It's crazy. Today's, by the way, uh, June 25th, Decide to be Married Day. Decide to be married, which is something we coach all of our producers that are single. Mm. Just do it! Yeah. Don't let your dreams be dreams. Hmm? Shia LaBeouf. He's, mo- he's one of the greatest motivational speakers of all time. Do you hear what happened to another motivational speaker? What? Tony Robbins? No. He was having a seminar. In San Antonio. Yeah. As many as 40 people were injured after walking on hot coals as part of a self-help seminar hosted by Tony Robbins. This is according to fire officials. You can do it! So it says attendees of the Unleash the Power Within event uh, reported burns to their feet and legs after 11 p.m. Thursday. A lot of the attend- attendees were asked to walk across hot coals, and as a, as a result, a lot of the people sustained burns. 30 or 40 people hurt. Five treated at the burn unit at a local hospital. Holy cow. Others were treated and released at the scene. It was unclear how many participated in the coal walk. Jerry, were your coals hot? Mine were really hot. So it says the the three-day seminar is intended to help people break through any limit and improve their quality of life. And 40 apparently had their quality of life diminished. According to media reports, 21 out of 6,000 people who walked on hot coals at a Robbins event in a 2012 California. Yeah. Uh, seminar were treated for burns also. Okay, so you know what those guys are? Those 20 or those 40? They're the non-believers. Are they weak? They're, They're weak. weak-minded? Your mind is weak. So you you kind of do some motivational speaking. No, I don't, I don't do motivational. A little bit. No. You're up there. You're I'm not there to motivate them. I'm there to just entertain them. Is that what it is? You're just an entertainer? You don't motivate? I do a little uh, piano bar. Well, you do your your marriage seminars. Yeah, aren't you motivating successful marriages? No, I'm teaching them skills. But, but aren't see, you trying to motivate also? No, because see, there's a difference. A motivational speaker's job is just to get you excited. All right. My that's what they do. They do is they motivate you. They excite you. I'm there to give you skills and tools to actually do something. But do you present it in a boring way so there's no, no way that anyone wants to stand up and actually use any of this information? No, you you want. So you're trying it. to motivate them to use the information you're giving them. Well, but that's different than just giving them a raw raw speech. In a way, you could 
incorporate hot coal walking mm-hmm. to help these people see that they too can have a successful marriage. Yeah, I did that, and then you know, Terry? four people burnt their feet off. Just, I think you're offending him by implying yeah, that no. he's a motivational <laughs> no. speaker. He's like you're you're diminishing my capacity here. Yeah. See, you, if you were in the industry, you'd understand there's a difference. There's some that all they can do is just excite you, mm. but there's others that actually have content that you can use day in and day out. But is it not it's motivational? Different. Well, yeah, but that's not what you'd call a motivational speaker. I'm saying there's the element of You're just showing motiv- that you don't understand an industry. <laughs> I want you to have people, people. walk across hot coals. Yeah, I I'm think this is that. doable. Come on. I, no, I do do group hugs. Just have them sign a waiver. You're fine. I do we, group we can hugs. do it in the break room. Just clear all the producers. We've tried it. We've tried it on the show before. That must have been before I was here. Yeah. Actually, yeah. It was the day we asked you not to come <laughs> just because the fire hazard was too high. It, the coal walking, I've had people do it and it's changed their life. And I'm thinking, really? I mean, the most motivational thing you can do is not walk on coals. It would yeah. be living a healthy marriage. Mm. For what about mind over 50 matter? Fifty years, I know the same thing. Mind over matter in a marriage. Well, I don't need to bring in coals to yeah. prove something. I could just have you work on your own life, lose the addiction. You it's know, an object lesson. The, one. I'm feeling really motivated because right I know I know people that can walk on coals, but yeah. they still argue and fight with their wife all day. But they can walk on coals. <laughs> a skill set <laughs> not that important. Not I mean, not to diminish. All of the many things in life. I don't know but. why you're diminishing like the the skill of walking on coals. Like that's like, or or the motivational speaker industry. Yeah. yeah, I think you guys don't understand the industry. <laughs> it's it's it would be like it'd be like it'd be like saying that the greatest sci-fi movie of all time, not sci-fi, um, the greatest uh, nerd alert move, uh, the great Marvel, the greatest superhero mm. of all time. Okay, Shazam. Yeah. Yeah, see, but that's ridiculous. Why is it ridiculous? Shazam isn't the greatest. Why not? Alert nerd. He could be. Do you think Shazam is? He could be. Do you think, you tell me, is he? Like right now, my Justice League comic book that I have, Superman Superman is dead. Lex Luthor has taken over the shield, if you will. And the only flying super being, other than Wonder Woman, on the team is Shazam. So you do And he's actually like a nine-year-old little boy. Yeah. So a nine-year-old little boy named Shazam. Well, his name's something else until he he says Shazam. So he is the greatest. I I always thought Superman was. He is. No, he's not. Shazam is. Now, because Superman's dead. Right. Until he comes back, because it's comic books, he's coming back. See see how that doesn't work? No, it works works really well. They do it all the time. It works really well in your There was a point where Shazam and Superman fought, and they took down a LexCorp-built city. It was just to make Superman look bad. Different story. Go on. Okay. So do you understand? <laughs> so you understand an industry. And no. if somebody was putting down your industry, okay. like calling you like a nerd. Uh, nah. I, I don't, you, I don't you, see what you you're trying to. You eventually see that there's a whole other side of the industry <laughs> that that person doesn't get. I understand. You're not, you Matt, have a problem with this. You're not motivating me very much right no, now. No, I'm not. You guys, uh, there's a crazy story about the nails. We're going to go to that. Moving on. 
Abrupt left turn. A 28-year-old man from China mm. was rushed to the hospital earlier this week after he swallowed eight 15-centimeter nails. Whoa. He's got a... That's a got very, very specific audio. And today. by the way, why was he doing this to impress his friends? Of course. Hey, why Billy, else? I'm going to swallow a nail. Uh, the man swallowed the nails on March 17th, but didn't report any pain until more than two months later on May 24th. Wow. They just hung around for two months. Yeah. Then they started to hurt. Oof. Two months ago, he tried to claim to his friends that he has uh, uh, he was a trained sword swallower. And then after he was mocked by his friends, just like you guys are mocking me. Hmm. To their surprise, he took out a pack of large nails from his pocket and began to ingest them one by one. So does this mean you're going to take out a pack of nails and start ingesting them? No, I'm just going to go make a lot of money at a speech. So he says, (laughs) I'm a sword swallower. Yeah. And so he starts tossing back nails. Why wouldn't he swallow a sword? That's my question. After he had swallowed the eighth nail, his friend stopped him. Jimmy, we believe you, man. (laughs) You're eating too many nails. Doctors were shocked by the x-ray images, which showed that several nails had pierced his stomach. Ooh. He was sent for immediate surgery to remove the nails, which easily could have killed him because they were, like, working their way through his lining of his stomach. Someone needs to make digestive tract-friendly nails. Yeah, or let's have more sword training to swallow swords. I don't know why you have to show your friends how cool you are and then you almost die. Yeah. Well, maybe he was like two weeks into a six-week sword swallowing training. Mm. And that's so true. like they had only gotten to nails. Yeah, that's true. But, yeah, maybe he was still in that stage where they try to get you to, to lose the gag reflex, <laughs> which is like the first major hurdle in any sword swallowing class. I don't know. Sad day, though. Wow. So if anybody's out there in listener land and you, 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 know, you need to impress your friends, just tell them that you listen to the Matt Townsend show. You don't need to swallow nails. No. You don't need to. Walking on hot coals, possibility. Yeah. Except make sure you do it right. There's a lot of prep work in that, though. Yeah. How do you do it right? How do you walk on hot coals You've got to believe. (laughs) And you've got to walk on the edge of the coals. Right across the middle? Walk on the outside. The ones that are glowing. Stay away from those. And you've got to listen to what they whisper in your ear. Walk to the outside. Walk to the outside. All right. Or whatever they tell you. There's yeah. a trick to walking on coals. To not do it? A, not do it. Okay. Two, go fast. <laughs> Three, stay to the outside. Or maybe stay to the middle and they move the coals to the outside. I don't know. There's mm-hmm. a trick. There's a trick, huh? There's a trick. Hmm. J, go to another speech <laughs> and learn skills to actually use it in your life. F, don't make ice cream. Wait, what was that? Anyway, we're going to take a break, folks. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about why people are so upset, even maybe more upset sometimes, when an animal dies tragically in a story. You know, we've, we hear a lot of stories where, you know, some uh, an animal in the zoo died or, um, you know, Harambe the, the gorilla was shot when that boy fell into his enclosure. Why is it so impactful on people? When an animal dies. And we maybe don't even have the same impact on us when just a person dies. Stick with us. We'll have a psychologist here to walk us through this uh, interesting phenomenon. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back.
Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, uh, nothing seems more real than the minds of other people, right? Uh, when When you consider what your boss is thinking or whether your spouse is happy, you're admitting them into the mind club. And it's easy to assume other humans can think and feel about what a, about a cow and a computer and a corporation. But to what kind of minds do they actually have? Have you ever noticed when a child dies, incredibly sad for you, for example. When an animal dies, like Harambe the, the gorilla died um, or Cecil the lion died, it, it's, it, it really rocks our world. And here to explain about our minds and about his book called The Mind Club um, and why these things impact us so strongly is Dr. Kurt Gray. He is an assistant professor of social psychology at uh, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and we're honored to have him on. Dr. Kurt Gray, welcome to The Matt Townsend Show. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me on. What an interesting topic. I saw an article um, that you were cited in about... Harambe and Cecil and why we mourn so uh, the death of these animals so intensely. Help us understand and then get into some of your concept around the mind club. What's going on in our heads that make these these events so impactful? Yeah. So uh, my research reveals that when we we think about the minds of others, um, we actually bin people into or animals into two different kinds of minds. One of those kinds of minds is a kind of thinking doer, so think presidents and CEOs um, and people who, you know, do things, active things, and think about it. And then the other half are, are things that are vulnerable feelers, right, things that uh, are the, the victims of suffering or the beneficiaries of helping. And when we bin people into um, the vulnerable feelers camps, that's when our heart really goes out to them. And this is why when children get injured or animals, animals seem so helpless and vulnerable. And when they get harmed, we feel uh, really bad about it. And the funny thing is, is when people get harmed who are thinking doers like uh, presidents or CEOs, we, we seldom shed a tear, even though we may explicitly know that they have a mind. Interesting. So our mind is is binning, as you call it, categorizing people into into two categories: thinking doers, vulnerable. Is it vulnerable feelers? That's right. Yeah. And if if we see or perceive somebody as a feeler or a vulnerable feeler, then I guess the the outcome is compassion, more um, sensitivity towards them. But if we sense that they're more of a thinking doer, we just we feel less for them. Exactly. And the the way we see other minds depends upon the other minds around them. So Harambe the gorilla is a perfect case. So there's really some ambiguity of whether, um, you know, when he's standing next to the little boy, the little boy was clearly a vulnerable feeler. Right. So that makes some of us think that Harambe is really a thinking doer, and so we think that his death is justified in some sense. But then if we think of Harambe next to the adult zookeepers, then Harambe really seems like a vulnerable feeler because he's harmed by them. And so there's this ambiguity in how we perceive the minds of others. Wow. And, and it is, I guess, in contrast to the scenario, I mean, and the, and the situation that they're in. But it, in a way, I guess it just means we're very, we're very able to make them anything we need them to be. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, lots of research show that when we perceive minds, it's very, it's very motivated. So... 
if we, you know, if we pass by a homeless person and we, we don't want to donate money, right, because we don't have any or we want to buy something else, we're going to the movies and we have money just for a ticket, then we take away the mind from the homeless person. We think, well, he's, he's not really suffering. He's not really a vulnerable feeler. He's a thinking doer. He's there because, you know, he did something to deserve that. Hmm. And, and, I mean, so... In a way, this this in essence is our morality, right? This becomes our judgment of right or wrong, and I guess our our ability to keep switching it just goes back and forth. And it's not always it's not even really based on the real data. It's just based on the data we're selecting. Exactly. So, I mean, you could argue that there's some real data, right? So, no one thinks that that a puppy is morally responsible for you know this the stock prices right. dropping. Right. But, right. Uh, there is a lot of flexibility. Wow. So talk to us. In your book, you bring up uh, – you call it the Mind Club, and um, it just explain kind of the concept behind the book and, and how we use that in our lives. Yeah. So the, the Mind Club is just that kind of collection of, of entities that we acknowledge has a mind. And so um, there's this old philosophical problem called the problem of other minds. And the idea is that you know that you have a mind, right, because you're inside your mind. If I poke you, you feel pain and you feel love. You look at the sunset, right, you feel the emotions. But when you look at another person, you can't directly experience their mind. You just have to to make your best guess that they do have a mind like you. Um, And philosophers talk about the problem of zombies, and these aren't the kind of brain-eating ones we, we think about today. But... A kind of philosophical zombie is when someone looks like they have a mind, but there's nothing going on behind their eyes. They're like a robot. Um, and so the mind club is really just about who we kind of uh, perceive to have a mind and who we acknowledge to have a mind and sometimes who we acknowledge not to have a mind. And does this um, – as I sit there and I'm kind of interpreting and making these, you know, these decisions, I mean, I guess – why why are we doing this as human beings? Why do we why why have we created this interpretive view of others and what does it give us, you know, for those that are in our mind our mind club? Right. So what what it gives other people in the mind club is a kind of moral protection, right, and moral blame. But the the reason we see minds in the first place in an evolutionary sense is because it allows us to better predict people's behavior. So if I just thought of you as a, as a, as a total zombie, um, then the, the best I can kind of get about your, your behavior is kind of physical things. Like your hand moved this way, I'm going to pay attention to its mass and momentum, and it might move this way later. Right? It's not very useful to think right, of humans right. that way. Instead, we think of them in terms of intention. Right? You want something. That's a, a mental state, something that a mind has, and then you're going to do something to get it. And so that allows us to predict people's behavior much better. Man, I mean, because really we do this all the time with, you know, so, okay, so these people are Christians, they believe in God, these people are gay, they have a different mindset, uh, these people are, you know, these, these people are liberals. We, we're always breaking people into these groups, and then do these groups, we automatically uh, we, we then can affiliate better with and we feel like they're safer with us or not? Yeah, I think it gives us a chance to better understand them. But one interesting thing with groups, so, you know, we have a chapter on the group, which is kind of interesting, is that the more you perceive a mind in the broader groups, so if you think of like 
gay people or liberals or Christians, right, as a group, the more you kind of take mind away from individual members and give it to the entire group. Hmm. Um, and so one example that's very strong is uh, when group members are very similar and, and look the same. So if you think of sheep, right, we think of, you know, a flock doing things, but never individual sheep. And the same is true with, um, with people in like a, a military platoon, right? They're wearing uniforms. They all have the same haircut. Right. Right. And then we think of their movements together, but seldom what, you know, Private Jones is thinking. Interesting stuff. Is this, um, I mean, and I guess there's no way to not do this. I mean, in, in some sense. This is just thinking, mind, right? Yeah, is, is one of the most basic things we do. But, I mean, there's ways to prevent us from doing things like taking away mind from those who are different than us. Right? We can remind ourselves that they have the same feelings. But it's really hard because a lot of these processes are automatic. Yeah. And I mean, and they're, um, are, they're not even necessarily accurate. I mean, my, a, a human, I'm assuming, my perception of mind as I look at an animal and I assume what their perception of mind is about, I mean, we're not even on the same page, are we? Hey, animals are, are a really tough case. And, you know, you get these, these incredible reversals of mind perception that, that are different from what we objectively acknowledge, right? So someone could walk by a homeless person on the way to buy a $100 sweater for their dog, right? right. So like, we explicitly acknowledge, look, people have more mind than animals, and we do this when we eat animals, right? But there's something about sometimes our pets that we think that they have much more mind than, um, than refugees, right, or all yeah. sorts of different people. That's interesting stuff. Uh, let's take a break. We're speaking again with Dr. Kurt Gray, who is um, author of the book The Mind Club, and he is also an assistant professor of social psychology at North Car- uh, the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. He's, uh, he's walking us through the power of uh, and, and processing of our mind and how we perceive others and, uh, and how we, I guess, infer to others what, what we think their mind is doing. Um, Interesting stuff, folks. Stick with us. We'll take a break, come back, and uh, continue the discussion. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us on the show is Dr. Kurt Gray from the University of North Carolina, uh, Chapel Hill, and he is also the author, co-author of the book, The Mind Club, Who Thinks, What Feels, and Why It Matters. Um, he co-wrote that with Daniel Wegner. And Kurt, we appreciate you being back with us. Thanks for helping us uh, at least begin to understand a little bit more about our mind. Yeah, it's a, it's a sometimes confusing topic. It is, and it's, I mean, so really, we are constantly in our mind. Um, and by the way, how would you define the mind? Oh, I get that question a lot, and yeah. uh, it's a tough question. I think I would, I would say the mind is really what you perceive uh, in other people. I mean, you could say it's the ability to, to think and feel maybe most simply. Yeah, and, you, and, and we are always kind of constructing our own 
version of life, of reality. We're always perceiving and having to interpret and make up interpretation. Exactly. Yeah, and I think it's important to understand how we do that because the the work I've done shows that those perceptions and that reality is linked to our our perceptions of morality um, and what we think is right or wrong and who deserves uh, to live or die, whether vegetarianism is you know, just a nutritional choice or murder, um, all rely on things like mind perception. And, um, and again, to kind of the original part of the story was why when Harambe the gorilla is, is shot while he has a child in his cage in the zoo, why that is so impactful to others and others see it as a horrible thing. And, uh, and while still at the same time, just as many think, well, of course, we've got to protect the child kind of thing. But this is because it really is our mind, it sounds like, um, that ends up dividing us and unifying us. Yeah. And Harambe is an interesting case, too, because if if there's a gorilla who kills another gorilla in the wild, right, let's say Harambe was killed by an aggressive dominant gorilla, I think we'd be sad, but we wouldn't have the same kind of sadness or moral outrage when Harambe is killed by a person. Right. And I think that's because of the relative differences in how we perceive their mind. A person is seems much more powerful and intentional uh, than the gorilla. And again, I guess if we reverse that and a wild mountain lion kills a runner or you know somebody running up in the mountains I guess we would we would feel what I mean what I mean I guess it we I guess it would depend on the person right right exactly so if it was um like Chuck Norris is running through the hills <laughs> right and he gets eaten by a mountain lion we're like wow that must wow. be an epic struggle too bad for Chuck Norris but if it's a small child then we think that's terrible uh-huh. right? and then we well like the there was a young boy who was killed at Disneyland right. long ago by an alligator and you know, they uh, killed five alligators to find the, the boy's body and then eventually found him at the bottom of the lake. And no one's getting upset about the dead alligators, right? Right. Um, even though – Yeah, because it, it, it was, I guess, in a position of, of uh, you know, that it should have known. I mean, like it was in the powerful position. Right, exactly. And also alligators are just – less similar to humans, and so we don't get the same kind of mind cues as, a, as we get from a gorilla. And fair enough. I mean, right, right. I think objectively, alligators aren't as smart as gorillas, but still, the kind of lack of outrage is, is notable. But then, like you're saying, we can then take this same kind of theory and, and bring it into how we see each other and how we see people with differences, or, um, and, and then that creates our moral justification for why we can treat somebody so differently because of how we simply because we perceive them as a threat or as you know not doing something healthy exactly yeah so i mean the the one of the oldest examples is is slavery right so in the u.s when slavery was justified it was justified on the basis of you know these people who are different than us coming from africa they're they have less of a mind they're like livestock we have to protect them and help them but you know they're not thinking doers like you or i Hmm. and you find that um, all over the world, in some sense, when people advocate for for differences across people, um, and again, that's mind perception, right? right? Reflecting their moral judgments. But one of the keys, really, too, is we we get to choose how we're interpreting people, right? Yeah. For, so, so we, we can we slow this process down and actually question our own interpretation and try to gather more real data. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so 
I think that's especially true with humans, yeah. right? Because if you just spend the time to listen to someone, right, and you spend the time to talk with someone, it becomes pretty apparent that they have a similar kind of mind that you do. And so, you know, it's a very easy way to overcome um, these like political or racial or cultural barriers. Right. With with things like animals and and machines, and we talk about people in vegetative states. It's much harder there because you know you can't just sit down with a with a dog and talk to it for a little while longer. <laughs> well, some can. Not, yeah, can. that's true. <laughs> the dog whisperer. They're, they're dog psychics, right? They can right they can contact your dog beyond the grave, um, and that's more or less a matter of kind of science. <laughs> right, right. But that's fascinating because. Then I mean I guess that is I think one of the reasons why uh, there has been so much strength in the movement for LGBT. It seems like too that more and more and more people have more close connection to someone in their life that is that is gay, and it then it starts to change how you see the the whole process, and then all of a sudden it becomes more acceptable. Yeah. So. Again, going back to the distinction I raised uh, before the break about kind of like thinking uh, intentional uh, doers and vulnerable feelers, uh, you know, I think when we think of people who are different than us, it's very easy to think of them as only thinking doers, as kind of mm-hmm. evil people bent on destruction. So this is what the U.S. did to uh, how they saw the Japanese in the Second World War, right, as um, just a kind of robotic race bent on the destruction of America, um, and I think when we perceive our enemies in political discourse, we think the same way, right? They're just evil and they have no feelings. But then when you talk to people who are different than you, so uh, LGBT folks in this case, you think, well, you know, they're, they really just do fundamentally love their spouse. Yeah. It's the same kind of love that I feel for my spouse. And so, you know, they're not just thinking doers. They're also vulnerable feelers. I mean, and again, there's no end to this. It just seems like issue after issue, immigration um, you know, and uh, racism. And so part of your saying, one of the things you're teaching us is that the mind is doing this supposedly to protect us, to make sure we're safe so there aren't any surprises. But really, we may just be creating such an illusion that could fall fall in on us as well. Right. So the mind, kind of mind perception evolved to help us predict the world and uh, give us a better sense of what people are going to do. But at the same time, it's influenced by our motivation. And our motivation is often just to keep the world as we thought it always was. And so there's all these psychological processes in there to reinforce our current beliefs uh, about other people. And so, you know, you find this with, uh, with animals and vegetarianism, for instance, right? If I'm a kind of meat eater, then I think there's no way that they have a mind and nothing you can tell me can convince me. And if you are a vegan, then you think that they have a mind equal to humans in some sense. Mm. There's nothing that I can say to convince you. And so we kind of entrench ourselves in these mind perception positions. Yeah. And then um, I guess, too, then how you're raised, uh, I guess you can be raised in a mindset or raised in a paradigm. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, parents can sometimes say, well, you know, they don't think about it as the same way. And the kind of innocuous interpretation of that is, well, they just have a different opinion. But the the deeper interpretation could be, well, they don't even think in the same way. They have a less of a mind than we do. And so the kind of subtext of those teachings to children can be very powerful. What is the healthy uh, way – is there a healthy way to raise a child so that their mind 
can be open and um, and still, you know, uh, I guess um, fixed on values that you care about that you feel are un- more universal and important. I think, you know, I think what I try to do in a lot of my my research when I study morality and political differences in morality yeah. is to is to understand that uh, different people have the same kind of moral sense, but they just kind of see it differently. So to unpack that, what that means is we, we all care in morality about protecting vulnerable feelers from harm, right? In all these moral dialogues, it always goes down to, like, think of the children. Right. right? We have to protect our children. And I think it's important to recognize that everyone on different, you know, religions or different political issues recognize that children need protecting, but we just think that they need protecting in, in different kind of ways. Right. Um, and so I think having that initial common basis between everyone goes a long way. Hmm. And it's um, so, so, I mean, some of the, I think, important news is also the fact that the, the concept of agency, that we, we can evaluate our own thinking, which is, yeah. which is, some would say, well, how do you do that, Kurt? I mean, you'd only use your thinking to evaluate your own thinking. But so how, what are some tools that you'd suggest that would help us evaluate our mind? Well, one of them, uh, very simple, you know, pick up the book, because the only way that we can kind of become aware of our biases is just by learning about them. So learning about psychology in general is very useful. Uh, And two, you know, you may be biased if you just kind of sit alone and think in a room, but usually by talking to others, in particular others who don't already share your views, can be really eye-opening. And so an easy way, for instance, is traveling. Uh, I recently went to, to Japan and, you know, was very used to American culture. And then I go over there and I recognize that it's not the only way to do it. Um, hmm. You know, people have very different cultures and it can seem strange or foreign, but it's also, you know, legitimate in some sense. Yeah. And different and, and eye-opening. Certainly. And um, it's so interesting how much of this world's pain is really just minds battling to stay the same. And, right, ignoring other minds. Yeah. Right, so keeping the empathy circle very small around your own group and failing to acknowledge that others feel the same pain that you do, whether that's because it contradicts your your political or religious views or just because it's costly, because you'd have to donate money you know, right. to Syrians if you recognize that they're suffering. Yeah, you'd have to change. Right, exactly. Heaven forbid. Well, interesting stuff, Kurt. We appreciate it. Uh, great insight um, into our minds. And everybody, go check out the book again, The Mind Club, Who Thinks, What Feels, and Why It Matters by Kurt Gray. Thank you so much, Kurt. Thanks, thanks for having me on. Keep up the great work and uh, trying to understand the mind. I mean, really. And it just, it's every day. We're making immediate, you know, interpretations, perception. It's going on constantly, and we we rarely question it. It's just right. And then it even feels right. Oh, it even feels right. Stick with us, folks. We'll come back to a little Coach's Corner. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Coach would have put me in fourth quarter. We'd have been state champions. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball! Play ball! Welcome back, everybody. It's the Matt Townsend Show, a little coach's corner for you. Uh, so our last guest, Dr. Kurt Gray, talks about your mind 
and uh, the impact it has on life. And when I when I'm coaching people in my um, practice, I the mind really is one of the first big barriers that has to has to be evaluated at least in order to create some movement, in order to create a change. Um, it's not just trying to teach them skills. I can teach couples to talk. I can get them communicating. I can get them to maybe hold off before they just blow up and listen to somebody. But there are certain thoughts that are constantly stewing in our lives or in our minds, and those thoughts may um, deeply impact what you do, what you feel. So my basic belief as a coach is that our thinking, whether it's conscious or subconscious thoughts, whether you're actually intentionally thinking about the thought or whether it's just some, you know, some undercurrent belief that you have, it's going to generate feeling. Thoughts tend to generate feelings. Feelings tend to generate doing what you do. And doing tends to generate what you're becoming. And if what you're becoming doesn't jive with what you want to become, then you're going to be out of integrity, which will generate feeling, right? And thoughts. So the pattern goes thinking, feeling, doing, becoming over and over and over. So here's some thoughts that you want to make sure you you don't have running through your operating system and and just start questioning it. Like what made me go off right here? Why did I start to act this way? That's what I was doing, yelling, screaming, whatever, um, just pulling away, ignoring my family or my spouse. Why was I doing that? Go back to the feeling behind it. There was something I was feeling. By the way, motivation for those that want to understand motivation. Uh, motivation is the feeling that generates the doing, right? Um, so that's there's power in understanding the uh, – the feeling and the doing. There's also power, also maybe more power in understanding the thinking behind the feeling. Um, here's an example. Do you tend to have a thought that you don't have a choice in life? You don't have a choice. I've got to do it. Don't even have a choice. I mean, I don't even want to do it, but I've got to go do this job or I've got to go, you know, take my kids to here in this place and that place. So if that is the thought that's underlying it um, and the belief, it's going to generate a feeling. And the feeling is probably obligated, forced. It's going to be an uglier feeling if you don't have a choice to do something, which will then generate how you go do it. Think of how you do something you didn't want to do. So a kid that throws a tantrum up to an adult that you know ruins a trip that they didn't even want to go on, um, it, it's going to be acted out. So if you do you have a thought process that you're trapped, you don't want to do what you're doing. You don't want to be in the life you want to be you're in. You don't want to be in the marriage you, you're in. Another thought that a lot of people have is that life is easy or life should be easy. And then they're amazed every time it's not easy. So if that's the way that you if you have a belief that life should be easy and yours isn't, then you then you obviously think I got to change my life. I got to change it. And you might feel misery even though you got a pretty good life. It's just normal. It's hard. Another belief is um that uh the way it is now is the way it's always going to be. Right? So if it's bad now, some people believe it's just it's just that's your life. It's always going to be bad. Or do you believe, you know what? No, life's going to change. Just give it a couple of years, give it a month, give it a two, give it a week. It's going to get better. 
Do you also believe that uh, everyone else has it better than you do? Right? There's people that believe everyone else just has it better than you do. Um, some people have a belief system that it's just too late, a value system, maybe something in their mind like it's too late. You know, it's too late to change my job. It's too late to become something that I want to become. Some call it just bad luck. You know, I just got bad luck. Bad luck. Everything I touch is just goes bad. Um, the sort of some some think of this optimist. You know, you know what. The situation, it's its going to get better. Some have that automatic, you know, reply. Some, no, 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 it's just going to be worse. But whatever your view is, it's yours. And if you, you're going to keep suffering the feelings that come from that thinking. And you're going to keep suffering the doing or the lack of doing that come from those feelings and those thoughts. So when I coach somebody, I always ask them to go back and try to evaluate the thought or the, the thought uh, the feeling, kind of the mood that drives you to keep doing what you're doing. And any time you spend looking at it is valuable. Trust me. Any time you spend recognizing the thought that's preceding a lot of these feelings you have, the better off you're going to have. You're going to actually find a way to turn this around. That's the Coach's Corner, my friends. We'll take a break. Come back next hour. More fun, more ideas to help you live longer. We'll be right back. Steve Rosenberg reporting. That's the latest BBC News. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. This is the program where we give you the latest, the greatest research information and sometimes important information to help you live longer, love stronger. Today, no exception, happy Decide to be Married Day, which is the day that you finally decide, you know what, got to put a ring on it, time to get married. Uh, Or it's also, by the way, happy Sunglasses Day for those of you that... uh, are wearing the shades. Also, just if you're keeping score, happy birthday to you day. Three great days. Hmm. Different things we're celebrating. I think it's pineapple day too. Is it? I saw that somewhere. Oh, I love me some pineapple. So happy pineapple day. Happy pineapple day. Pi- nothing better than a little pineapple and spam. Not together, but they're both good. Really? Yeah. There isn't a dish that incorporates pineapple and spam it probably is but you're not a fan i personally don't believe that the two should go together a little sweet and sour there have you ever tried um it's called spamoni ice cream actually be sweet and slimy but okay spamoni spam spamoni spamoni it's an italian ice cream some call it spumoni spumoni but there's another version that ben makes called spamoni which Mm -hmm. includes spam Mm -hmm. and it's i think it's is it in i think it's in a chocolate pistachio, cherry. Interesting. It's actually soy sauce, but yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's delicious with little pineapple now, chunks. Is that with the slime on or off? Oh, slime on. Okay. But you, but you, well, it's, it's all a mode slime. So so there are certain fl- certain varieties that mm. you can have de-slimed spam. Okay. I love spam only. Well, it affects the recipe when you leave the extra ingredients. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
It's all texture. <laughs> I like to just kind of get some of that uh, the spam slime. Mm. Just it, I just put a little of it in my mouth. Okay. It takes it just knocks the tartar right out of your. <laughs> Any tartar, Dental any plaque, anything. It just cleans you right I, I don't up. believe they advertise that on the, yeah. uh, no, the packaging at all. But. My grandma taught me the trick. Okay. It's a great trick. Great. Uh, we will be getting into that, of course, today. Of, you know, the healthier diet. No, we won't. We're going to be talking <laughs> about um, this is such an important thing. You want to be more creative? You know what you got to do to be more creative? Become less productive. More creativity means you got to decrease productivity. Hmm. We'll talk about it. You have to make time for you got to make time to be creative. Hmm. Which is why this show is suffering. We don't have enough time to be creative? I don't know. No. It's hard to be talent on the show. Go talent. Yeah, thank you. I will go. Thank you. Anywho, we'll be talking about uh creativity and productivity up in a few minutes, but first Let's get to the headlines with Caitlin Thomas. Caitlin, what's going on around the rest of the country? Well, we have a, some big news, Matt. In a 5-3 to three vote, the Supreme Court strikes down the Texas abortion law, declaring it unconstitutional. So this just went in this morning. In the ruling, the court said the admitting privileges and surgical center requirements place a, quote, substantial obstacle for women seeking an abortion, which violates the Constitution. Texas's abortion law, known as House Bill 2, was passed by lawmakers in 2013. It requires abortion centers to meet the same standards as ambulatory surgical centers, like having large operating rooms, wide corridors, and doctors with admitting privileges at a hospital within 30 miles of the clinic. Prior to the bill passing, 41 clinics in Texas performed abortions, but now just 19 are open. The eight Supreme Court justices based their decision on whether the law imposes restrictions that unconstitutionally limit a woman's right to terminate a pregnancy. An Amtrak train crashed into a van in Colorado on Sunday morning, killing five passengers, three of whom were children. So this is really sad. The Colorado State Patrol said the van's driver had failed to stop for the train, and authorities are investigating the incident. Four passengers were declared dead at the scene, and a fifth was flown to a hospital for treatment but died there. The names of those killed have not yet been released. No one on the train was injured. Um, another piece of sad news, Matt, we're still trying to put the pieces together, said Fort Bend County Sheriff Troy Nails in the aftermath of a Friday shooting that left a Texas mother and her two daughters dead. A, a sheriff's representative tells people that Christy Sheets, who shot and killed daughters Taylor, 22, and Madison, 17, before being shot and killed by police, had a history of mental illness. Police had visited the home for previous altercations related to Sheets' mental crisis, says the representative. A neighbor told the news told the news that the Friday shooting occurred on the birthday of Jason Sheets, the father of the daughters. So the couple had been estranged and had recently gone back together, and he was present but uninjured. So the investigation is still undergoing. So that's really sad wow. stuff. But Matt, I have a good story what? to leave you with. On Monday for the headlines, Matt White was grocery shopping in Memphis, Tennessee, when 16-year-old Chauncey Jones asked if he could carry White's groceries to the 30-year-old's car in exchange for a pack of donuts. Little did Chauncey know that he was about to change his life. He told White that he had taken a bus to the, quote, rich people's Kroger in the hope of getting some food since his own fridge was empty. He looked ashamed, hungry, and broken, White writes on Facebook. So instead of buying him donuts, he went on a shopping spree, buying him cereal, pizza, milk, soap, toothbrushes, and more. But when he drove the boy home, he discovered Chauncey and his, dis- his disabled mother were truly living with nothing. They didn't even have beds or furniture. They were sleeping on pads made out of sleeping bags. They had two lamps and nothing in their fridge. White decided to help the family even further. He started a GoFundMe page. 
um, that he set up to raise $250 so Chauncey could buy a lawnmower and start mowing lawns for money. Two weeks later, more than $273,000 has been raised. The money will be put in a trust for Chauncey's education and perhaps a new home. Currently, the mother and son are now living at a hotel due to security reasons, but all things are getting better now. Wow, great news. Good story, huh? See, way to find a good story amidst all of the really sad stuff. It's hard, though, isn't it? It's hard to find it. Well done, uh, Caitlin. We appreciate you. Keep up the good work. And um, wow. When you think about trying to find the good in the news, it's hard. Unless you're looking for it, right? Not every story has to be um, has to be so heavy. The reality is it's what sells, but it's also what uh, you know, you, you got to get the headlines. You, you want to know about something that's serious that's happening in your area. Uh, on this show, one of our goals, though, is to give you a deeper cut. So if all of a sudden you want to be more creative, for example, and you're struggling, then we're going to bring in an expert today to talk to you and show you how maybe it's your sense of productivity that's killing your ability to create creativity. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, also, just some other headlines that uh, we wanted to get to. Uh, French legislation. This is a crazy study or a, a crazy um, thing that came out. Buried inside a hotly contested French labor reform bill is an amendment suggesting that companies of 50 or more employees need to draft formal policies to limit the spillover of work, specifically as it is related to digital technology and how that spillover is impacting the private lives of employees. So according to the BBC, you need to now, uh, according to this new policy, this new French labor reform bill, you you have to, as an organization, start to create um, policies at work saying that employees aren't supposed to send or receive emails in their off time. They're supposed to disconnect. Click. You're done. You got to disconnect. This is now making it so that when employees physically leave the office, um, you know, because historically you wouldn't leave your job because they could still get a hold of you. You remained attached by the electronic leash. Well, now they are starting to say, nope, you've got to turn off that leash so that the employee no longer feels a need to um, have to stay connected. Now, is this a good idea? Like you, for example, Terry, if I said you were not allowed to do any work at home on the show and you couldn't contact anybody about it, right? would you do that? It depends. Because our show pretty much is your life and your social life. Because some of those, that things actually helps out the rest of my life run more smoothly right. if I do some work. Like when you're working, it helps you avoid having to... Engage with your family. It's not that. It helps you be more socially acceptable to others because you know the latest news. It's not even that. Most people don't care. How does it help you? Well, it helps me because if I do s- some preparatory work, yeah. then I can come into the office and I can do other things to help the show instead of those things that I did elsewhere. You know what I mean? So it's, it's kind of yeah. taking things off the plate that I don't have to worry about when I'm in the office. Oh, so it actually makes you less... More effective in the office. It, in my mind, it frees me up to do more important things, and I get yeah. these things taken care of. With the time I have, where I'm, it's nine o'clock, and I'm watching some show on TV. It's like right. I'll do something while I 
have to pay attention. Yeah, because that's how your mind works anyway. You're always like multitasking. Which means I'm really getting nothing done. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because it's funny. There's some people that need to work less. Like you, Terry, you need to go home and work less. But there's more people that need to work more while they're here and while they're at home for the show. You know what I mean? Who's that? I don't want to name names. I'm not going to point any fingers. I'm not pointing any fingers. Can you? I don't know. Oh, okay. okay. I'm not. I'm just pointing two fingers. Yes. Towards. Personally, I think Caitlin does a wonderful job both here and. I uh, totally agree. Caitlin's fantastic. So. It's not Caitlin. Really? No. It's 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 actually a person we call the engineer of the show. Engineer. Remember the guy that thought that he wore his train uniform in here and he had his suspenders and he thought he was going to be a train engineer. Anyway. Don't even go there. Wait. No, don't even worry. Don't even worry about it. Don't even worry about it. So uh, I, I like the legislation by France because I mean I I think it'd be great to be able to disconnect, unless these were employees of mine, then I like them to stay connected. Anyway, we'll get to we'll we'll get to more of that. We we'll we'll, we'll for sure get into that. Um, I saw another story. Holy cow! Again, in kind of the stupid human area of the world, um, I found a video of a mother in Alabama that gets too close to a snake. Okay? Mm, Okay. Okay, so it seems like when you see a snake, your body's like, oh, boy, get away from that. Right? Does your body do that? Like, danger. Snake. It just says run. It doesn't really go through a... Yeah, it doesn't, like, talk like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, just listen to this Alabama mom shooting a snake... Uh, with her video, with her camera, with her phone, and um, she just keeps getting closer to the snake, and then she'll even tell you her idea. Listen to this. Hey, Mr. Snake. <laughs> you a long boy. That's the snake skin we saw. It was yours, huh? I'm going to touch you on the tail and see what you do. Okay. Just pause for one second, would yeah. you? Whoa. Just one second. Pause that. Hey, Mr. Snake, there's, I'm going to touch you on the tail. Just that very thought. Like, that's the gap right there. Hmm. You, no, no, no. It's one thing to see, hey, Mr. Snake, be like 10 feet away, maybe 20. <laughs> but then she's getting closer. Hey, Mr. That's, you're, you're the one that left the skin. <laughs> she's talking to it. I'm going to touch you on the tail right there. Actually, five seconds before that, she made her mistake. This is what happened. Whoa, snake turns. You mean. Are you a bad snake? <laughs> and she got it. <laughs> wow. You got to watch this video. It is freaky. She touches the snake's tail. It turns. It kind of right. coils. And and gets and stands up or whatever snakes do, and you go and then bam, it just lunges at her. And everybody, by the way, in the studio, freaked. Everyone jumped. Don't touch a snake. Don't touch a snake. Don't talk to it in a condescending way. That makes snakes so mad. Why are you looking at me? Because I know you're going to Yellowstone soon. And you're going to die. Don't touch a bison. Don't touch a bear. Don't touch. Don't don't touch wild animals. I'm actually bringing this game with me to Yellowstone. It's called 
uh, animal touching bingo? Yeah. I'm not. No. Yeah. Don't do that. You're going to go, you know, we're going to do, uh, we're going to go bison tipping. We're going to run and that, tip over that's bison. That's one of them. And then there's yeah. cougar, yeah. cougar touching. Um, do not, you're not on. allowed to touch older single females. Okay. That, that actually wasn't on it, so I'm... That's what they yeah. call a cougar. What is the uh, don't do bison touching? That that's that's in a key part of the the bingo. No, okay. See, so you're dead. You're dead. Okay, that's all right, uh, Terry. We'll, we're going to get another guy. Yeah, okay. That's fine. No, do it. Go do it. Then you go do that. In fact, I'll give you an extra twenty if you can touch every animal on your list. Twenty bucks. But I want a picture with each. I want you to have a selfie. Okay. With each of those animals. Well, I was going to take selfies anyway. But so. the selfies, you have to be within like five feet of the okay, animal. Okay, so is this like 20 bucks or? Just 20 bucks, yeah. 20 bucks, okay. But you got to have all 30 of those animals on your list, all 30 of them, selfies, including okay. diamondback rattler. Okay. And uh, a black bear and a brown bear. Okay, I could do that. With their cubs. In between their cubs? You know, or? the funnest thing, though, that I found. Mama bears love it. You just run up and you just grab their little cub and you just give them a little noogie, 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 right on their little baby bear cub. And then it's just do that and take a selfie. Okay. Get, get your 20 bucks ready, man. No, oh, no, I got it ready. I got it ready. Yeah. And then, uh, Terry, I think if I were you, I would just, uh, just let's just put out a new job search. When are you going? Um, next week. Oh, yeah. That'll be fun. That'd be super fun. 20 bucks. <laughs> Easiest 20 bucks in the world. I'm going to miss you, Ben. Wait, why? Just no, no, I'll explain later. Hey, uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, Dr. Art Markman will be joining us talking about how to be more creative. Some tools. It might mean you got to slow down productivity. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, do you ever feel that your uh, bosses, you know, they constantly want new ideas, fresh ideas, better products, new advancements, but you just don't have the time to think of something new? Creativity is one of the most valuable qualities in an employee, but productivity is usually one of the ones that we measure the most. So we want creativity, but we're measuring productivity Sometimes it seems that these two qualities clash. And uh, joining us today is Dr. Um, uh, Dr. Art Markman, is the Director of Human Dimensions of Organizations at the University of Texas, is also an editorial member uh, board of the Editorial Board of Cognitive Psychology. He joins us today to talk about an article titled, To Get More Creative, Become Less Predicti- or, uh, Productive, and we appreciate Dr. Art Markman being with us. Thank you so much, sir. Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks so much. This is, a, I think, such an important discussion at, um, in, in this time of age. We, we know and we've talked about a lot on the show that employee engagement seems to be dropping a lot. People seem less engaged in what they're doing, um, but it, and that yet there's this demand. Well, they got to keep producing, but creativity sometimes is being stifled. And you talk about this tension. Why is there such a tension between productivity and creativity? 
Well, there are two elements to this that matter. The first is just that the creative process itself is inherently unpredictable. So the, the problem with creativity is if you think about the things you have to do, you have to learn a lot, you have to explore new possibilities, you have to follow your way down different rabbit holes in order to try different prospects. The, the problem is that, that at any given moment, you, you may not have actually come up with anything that's really a good idea yet. Yeah. And, so, and so unlike typical product, product management where, you know, I have all these benchmarks, I'm going to reach this milestone by this date, this milestone by this date, this milestone by this date. With creativity, hey, you know, you could go weeks without actually having a great idea. At that point, it's hard to tell the difference between you and somebody who's not doing anything at all in terms That's of true. overall productivity. That's true. I mean, and really, you may only need to be super creative two or three, four times a year, and then yeah. you've got to go deliver on the creativity. So, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, that it, it is. I didn't realize, I didn't sense it as something that was so unpredictable. And what makes the best creativity, you know, is it just lounging around or is it being overstimulated, you know? Well, and you know, you need to have some downtime. I mean, it's, you know, part of the problem is if I'm constantly under the gun to produce right now, then I'm constantly having to use what comes to mind first to solve whatever problems are in front of me. And if you think about some of your most creative moments, they often happen when you've walked away from your work for a while. Yeah. You know, there's, there's a reason why people will report having a great idea while they were standing in the shower or out for a walk. You know, and, and, and the thing is, if, if I need to be chained to my desk 9, 10, 11 hours a day to, in order to get things done, when is that time going to come for me to step away from the hubbub of, of daily life and actually allow myself to explore new possibilities? And again, I, I don't know that we're yet there where a company so appreciates the idea that you say, you know what, I'm going to go for my creative walk now. Yeah. <laughs> and you walk yeah. out of the building and they look at you like, that guy's going to get fired. Where, where do you think you're going? <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's right. And, and one of the things that's really important in this to recognize is that the companies that do this well recognize that you can't have everybody producing for every single moment that they're at work if they're going to be creative. And that actually requires having more people around in the workplace than, strictly speaking, you need to do the work that needs to be done today. So a lot of people, for example, will point to Google and say, well, they have this idea of 20% time that they encourage their employees to spend 20% of their time in these creative pursuits. But the hidden part of that is in order for Google to be able to give people extra time to work on these other projects, they need to have extra people around because there's still a certain amount of work that needs to be done. And most companies are lean and mean. They want to have exactly the number of people they need to do the tasks at hand rather than saying, you know what, we're going to overhire a little bit and that will give many of our employees an opportunity to engage in these more creative aspects of their work. Right. I mean, it, yeah, it's I guess they, they, these companies have got a number for how much each person should be able to to create or to deliver on, and yet the number, so the number doesn't actually foster creativity. That's right. That's right. They have to they have to take that number and then add a percentage. 
Yeah. Say, you know what? We're gonna we're gonna give our you know everyone or or some of our people uh, an opportunity to spend some amount of their time doing things that aren't productive today, but they're gonna pay off tomorrow. Is it? Uh, um, I guess it's really the manager's job, right? It's the leader's job to be able to discern the the balance between you know creativity and productivity, or is it the employees or both? Well, I, I think managers really set the tone in by by determining what the the HR strategy is going to be. That is, how many people are you going to hire? It's they're also going to set that tone by determining what you reward. You know, if you're consistently rewarding your best producers, what you're telling everybody else is forget all that creativity stuff. Just you know, get on the phone or do whatever it is you need to do to create billable moments today. But if you consistently reward those people who are trying to do something innovative, then you're sending a signal to people that productivity is important, but it's also important to to get beyond what it is we do on a daily basis today in order to transform what we're going to be doing tomorrow. Yeah, some are just so trying to stay alive, right? That they yeah. they're using all their best ingenuity, their best thinking, their best. Um, Energy, I guess that's part of this, huh? It is you only have so much energy. That's right. That's and, exactly right. And is is it like willpower? Have you studied this art about willpower is kind of a diminishing return? You've only got so much willpower every day, and once you've kind of been making a lot of decisions, you're losing that energy. Yeah, that's right. And and so, you know, if you think about it, a lot of these these processes, the ability to make decisions, the ability to stop yourself from doing the wrong thing, and the ability to explore lots of different options, you know, all of those involve those frontal lobes of the brain. And, you know, there's a limited amount of real concerted effort that you can engage in, after which you find people sitting at their desk doing what I affectionately call fake work. Looking busy, looking busy. I'm looking busy. I'm Googling things at random, but I'm not really getting anything done anymore. And, you know, at that point, I tell people, you know, what, get up, take a walk, go out, do something else and and then come back when you're when you when you're refreshed. But, yeah, I think I think management has a tremendous amount to do with that because they really they really tell you what what is it that we value in this organization, not through the words, but through what they what what they're doing, and most importantly, what it is that they're rewarding everybody else for doing in the organization, is um, do you sense we are are adapting in business today? I mean, it's we might be using I don't know even twentieth century, even maybe nineteenth century paradigms to try to run a business today, when um, you know we need a much more dynamic concept of of life and creativity, don't we? I think so. I think what we need is a much more human-centered view of what we're doing in business. So if you think about it, a lot of the business practices that we use on a daily basis are ones that we carried over from uh, from uh, manufacturing. Right. You know, and because the thing is when you had a manufacturing plant, you could determine exactly what level of productivity you should expect to get. And, and any manager who couldn't maximize the productivity of that factory didn't deserve to be running that factory. But the fact is we don't have the same level of understanding in most businesses of the way that people operate to really be able to figure out how do I maximize what I'm getting out of my employees, not just in terms of number of widgets produced or sold, 
But in terms of the ideas that we create, the, the ability to develop relationships that will ultimately lead to sales or perhaps collaborative ideas, and until we get that kind of people expertise into our organizations, we're going to have a very hard time managing those difficult elements of business, particularly things like creativity. Mm, good stuff. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Art Markman. He is the director of the Human Dimensions of Organizations program at the University of Texas, also the host of the NPR radio show and podcast, Two Guys on Your Head. He's written several books. Um, one is Smart Change, Five Tools to Create uh, uh, New and – got to see the whole name here um, – to create uh, new and sustainable habits in yourself and others. Take a break, folks. We'll be back more with Dr. Art Markman. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you lead healthier, happier lives. Stick with us. everybody to the Matt Townsend show on the phone with us is Dr. Art Markman who uh, is the director of the human dimensions of organizations at the University of Texas he's a member of the editorial board of cognitive psychology and is here to discuss an article to get more creative become less productive Dr. Art Markman welcome back my friend Oh, thanks so much. This is, uh, to me, such an important topic that because uh, I'm a creative soul and I could work forever, but you've got to measure creativity. And I guess we don't measure creativity, do we? We just measure it as an outcome. How many you know widgets or whatever did I produce? Yeah, yeah. And I think that one of the things that we don't do is to really measure are people engaged in procedures on a daily basis that will lead to creativity in the long run. So, for example, one of the things that's really crucial for creativity is knowing a lot about a lot of different things. So it turns out one of the things that we often want people to do is to focus on learning things that are going to matter for them today. Mm. Let me learn a new procedure that's going to help me to do my work tomorrow. Right. The thing about really creative people, though, is that they often know a bunch of stuff that it wasn't obvious when they learned it how it was going to be important. But then later they realized, oh, I could adapt a solution or a procedure that somebody used in a very different business or in a very different area of work altogether, I could adapt that to what I'm trying to do right now. And those analogies where they take knowledge from one place and plop it down into another, that turns out to be an incredibly powerful aspect of creativity. But what that means is that the most creative people need to be continually expanding their knowledge about things that aren't obviously relevant to the work that they're doing today. And most companies don't reward that. Right. They want, you know, and in fact, if you think about the kind of corporate training that we create for people, it's often focused on what can I teach you that's going to help you to do a better job tomorrow, as opposed to let me give you some experiences that might pay off years down the line because you're going to take this knowledge you had and and now use it for uh, something that we couldn't even foresee today. That is so true. Like, yeah, hey, yeah, if everybody wants to go, we'll go do a little excursion as a team and we'll do leadership skills. But it might be just as important to take them to a museum. Yeah, exactly. Or or to, to give people the opportunity to 
to bring a book to work and to spend an hour, uh, you know, during the day reading something that they're interested in that doesn't really have any clear relevance to what we're working on today, just so that if different people are looking at different things, over time we're expanding the overall base of knowledge that we have among the employees that we're working with. Holy cow. And yet so many are so stuck. They've been coding their whole life. They've only read about coding. They only know about coding or whatever. Interesting. What What are some other tricks to uh, to maybe you know push up the creativity level in our organization or in ourselves? Yeah, I think another thing we need to do is to allow ourselves to have conversations with with people who aren't the usual suspects, right? So you know, the another thing that happens in our organizations all the time is that after they get more than about fifty people in them, they start siloing. Yeah. And so now what happens is you come to work and you see the same eight or nine people every day. And I think it's important for organizations to to create opportunities for people to get together from from other parts of the organization, whether it's uh, having a little happy hour or a lunchtime talk or or something that allows them to spread that information across the the organization so that people begin to realize, hey, you know what, I know something that might help you to do what you're doing a little bit better, rather than just focusing on, hey, let's, you know, let's focus on, on what can we do today that's going to, uh, you know, th- th- that's going to make us more productive. Right. It seems like, too, just the fear of failure may be, you know, putting a little wet blanket on top of creativity. Sure, absolutely. You know, the thing about an execution mindset in most organizations is that we want to do uh, the things that we do repeatedly and reliably. And, and that's really the mindset that we bring to most of the work that we do. Unfortunately, with creativity, what we need to do is to try stuff, recognizing that some number of the things we try are going to fail, they're going to be mistakes, and that those mistakes are learning experiences and not signs that we're doing it wrong. And I think one of the ways that organizations have to change their reward structure is that we often, we often punish people for failing. Right. And I think that one of the things we need to do is to punish people for negligence, right? So if somebody falls down on the job, somebody really doesn't, doesn't do their due diligence, well, that's a punishable offense. But really, we want to reward failure. So we punish negligence, mm. but not failure. You know, in fact, I tell a lot of companies that I've done work with that once a year they ought to celebrate their most spectacular failure. <laughs> the big not burnout in cheek way, yeah. But really to hold that up and to say, you know what? Here's somebody who swung for the fences, and they whiffed, but they learned a lot from it. Yeah. And it's this kind of behavior that, in the long run, leads to real success in innovation and creation. Wow. I mean, how. Like a really to, – to have an award given and then the story and the lessons. I mean and then I guess the consequences, if you whiff that bad, what did you learn? And then share yeah. the learnings. Right. And, you know, the thing we know about creativity is that the people who have the most good ideas are the ones who have the most ideas. Yeah. Right. Now, some of those ideas are going to be lousy. You know, and if you were to run through the song catalog of your favorite artists, you'll discover that for every brilliant piece of music that they churned out, there's a couple of clunkers in there, too. Mm-hmm. But, but what made them creative was that willingness to just try things and then to discover, yeah, this didn't work so well, but all right, I'm going to move on to the next thing with the lessons in hand from what I took away mm. from what didn't work well. And I think every successful creative person has a whole list 
of their failures that that are part of what made them who they were as a creative individual. Yeah. Oh, powerful. I mean, I, I agree. And and maybe to I mean, everyone's got a role to play, right? And um, maybe seeing that some I mean, everyone can be creative, but some people like sometimes you need the cynic in the room or the sarcastic one <laughs> to spark the right person. So I guess two part of the job is get the right mix. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and one of the personality characteristics that becomes really important here, there's two of them that matter, one of which is, is for creative people, this idea of openness to experience, that willingness to try something new and not to poo-poo it just because it's a new thing. But you also need a certain number of really disagreeable people yeah. in your organization. Yeah. Those disagreeable people, they're the, they're the critics. They're the ones who are willing to say, you know what, um, I, know, I know you're really excited about this idea, but before we rush to market with this thing, here are five things we need to take care of. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and having that mix of people who are pulling in both directions, people who are really out there saying, we could try this, this crazy new thing, and then other people who are pulling it back and trying to bring you back down to earth and say, well, sure, we could try that, but, you know, let's, let's really think through the details of this before we, we just, you know, launch ourselves into space. You bet. Man, great stuff. Dr. Art Markman, thank you so much for being with us. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. You bet. Wonderful insight on creativity and productivity. Um, Go check out his book, Smart Change, Five Tools to Create New and Sustainable Habits in Yourself and Others. And uh, we'll continue to uh, bring you the latest and greatest from thinkers like Dr. Art Markman. We'll take a break. When we come back, our good buddies from BYU Sports Nation will be with us. We'll be finding out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Stick with us, folks. We'll be right back. everybody to the Matt Townsend show. Hey, we're going to throw it down to our good buddies down at BYU Sports Nation, Spencer and Jerem. Find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Hello, gentlemen. Hi, Matthew. How are you? Fantastic. How was your weekend? You know what? It was very, um, uh, what's the word? It was very chill. That's a good thing, right? Yeah. Chill, man. I was, uh, I spent hours throwing away, apparently, we keep a lot of our old cell phones. Yes, we do. So I, I didn't throw them away. I put them in a bag to take them to a special place to go, you know, to recycle. You can recycle them at like Best Buy or something, can't yeah, you? Yeah, no, totally, exactly. And I I found one, a flip phone, because our, our board operator here, our engineer, as he likes to be called, um, he I gave him my flip phone. It was from 19, circa 1999. He, he's going to love it. Yeah, yeah, all right. <laughs> he's going to love it, man. What did you guys do for the weekend? Did you have a good one? Yeah. I'm trying to remember what I did. I know. I couldn't remember oh, either. Oh, I, I had a ton of time. Like, it was my wife's weekend to party. Oh. oh. You know? Oh, so she's still partying? It was me. It was me and the boys. Yes. What would you do? Uh, let's see. We went to Chick-fil-A on Friday night. We went to the mall. Party. Bought a new suit. Yeah. Uh, for you or for them? For me. Oh, no, I heard about this suit. You is, did not. No, it is. Is it the antimicrobial suit that the U.S. rowers are wearing? 
Yes, it's going to be a big hit. Uh, just just the because first time I wear it on air here. Yeah, because the water is so bad in Rio. They've got these suits that you know keep you from catching infections. That actually is cool. That's really cool. Did you get one? I did not get one of those. Okay. Oh, you got a real suit. I got a real suit. Mm. Yes. But, a real suit. Pinstripes, tightly woven, ice gray. Ooh. Ooh, ice gray. Yeah. Ice, ice baby. <laughs> I like. <laughs> did um what do you do what do your kids do while you are getting fitted for your suit well jet is eight months old and yeah. he was fantastic he was just super calm and uh hanging out jacks he, he read a book he was playing angry birds on my phone I believe he's reading what a good dan brown <laughs> what a good dad i you, took him to get ice cream at cold stone after so let me get this straight for jacks uh for jacks you gave him angry bird Jax had Angry Birds. And for Jet, you gave him Benadryl. <laughs> no. Okay. Sorry. It was just late. He was just tired he was of being just tired. a good boy. Yeah. That's a good dad. Yeah. That's a really good dad. You know, we had fun. That's a, And you got an ice gray suit. Saturday, we went to Trafalgar. Mm. Oh, man. We, uh, we played tons of arcade games. Talk so about good. antimicrobial suits. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I want to watch. Seriously. Wanted to take like four showers. I know. Those <laughs> swimming parks are kind of scary. <laughs> Mommy, what's that? Don't touch it. <laughs> Get out of the pool, Jimmy. Oh. <laughs> Jerem, what did you do to ruin your children's lives? I can't remember. Man, you had was, a lot. It was that good. You weren't wow. out partying. <laughs> wow. No, I can't, I can't remember. I you, you, you just, I've been watching a lot of soccer. Have you? Yeah. What do you think about uh, Messi Flash retiring? Dad. Yeah, that was weird. Pretty emotional. It seems like he's just Decision. he's jumping like, the gun. What? Yeah, I I bet there's more than went into that. You don't walk out of the locker room and go, "Yeah, I'm done. I'm out of here." Unless there was a lot of thought that went into that. In my opinion, yeah. So, yeah, kind of a bummer, but I don't believe him. No, but I mean, maybe too. I mean, that's the biggest game. Chile, Argentina, man, they hate each other as countries anyway. Well, Brazil's the bigger rival. Yeah. Uh, but Chile won in penalty kicks last year as well in the uh. same tournament. So, and then the year before that, uh, Argentina lost the World Cup final to Germany. So they, they were ticked as well. Man. Uh, three straight major tournament finals losing it. But you're right there. Why would you? Why would you quit when you're knocking on the door? You're now, not... all, now all of the haters are like, well, Messi can't win the big one. <laughs> it's true to so far, right? That's true. And, and to me, he's the greatest player of all time. Yeah. Do you really think of all time? Individual, even, yes. even if he hasn't won a major championship. Yes. Is it his fault that? Yeah. Soccer is not. Yeah. You need. More than one, like in basketball, one player can swing everything. <laughs> yeah, right? Messi's not but the you quarterback. Still to, you still have to have a good team. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. Like, like the Bulls won the last year that Jordan played with the Bulls. They won like fifty-seven games. The next year they won fifty-five games. Mm. They were they were still good. Yeah, they were still good. Yeah, but Messi, a little in, messy individually. Yeah, to me, is the best player ever, even if he hasn't won a World Cup. But has he has he you ever had the that hand of God involved in his goal? <laughs> yeah, Diego uh, Maradona, Maradona. Is, is not uh, pleased with yeah Messi. He we thinks. we'll know if he's the best if if the hand of God is ever involved in a goal, and if it's not, no, then Messi wasn't. Let's just the say best. God's hand wasn't there. It was uh, Diego's. Was it Diego's hand? Yeah. Doggone it! Yeah. That blows up a whole myth. 
<laughs> hey, uh, what uh, what other myths are you guys going to blow up on your show? We're answering this fun question. Mm. The exact phrasing is this. If you could look into the future and have one question about the 2016 BYU football season answered, what would it be? Wow, get, one question. Yeah, one question answered. So we were thinking this. I don't want to know the record. Okay. I don't want to know the record. I want to see it play out, right? But I right. want to know means to that. Ah. Okay? Yeah. So so toy with that and use the hashtag BYUSN and weigh in. Oh uh, the answer the question is will will they you get will they get a bowl? Oh, that's that's the one. Okay. Don't you think? I mean that kinda of tells you a lot. Hmm. It doesn't tell you too much. Yeah, because <laughs> is it hard to go to a bowl game? The answer is no. You no. can be exactly mediocre. That's true. 500 and go to a bowl game. Yeah. So, but I mean, that'd be good to know. But on this schedule, at least they're going to get 500. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you don't go to a bowl game, though, come on. Come on. I think BYU fans expect BYU to go to a bowl game. Right. Will it be by one or two games? That's the, you know, or three. Ooh, this is exciting. Yeah. David Nixon win. Four time, uh, four season NFL player, former BYU linebacker, BYU TV analyst. Uh, plus Shaq Walker, he's the track and field star who took third in the 800. He is going pro, and one week from today, he expects to be in the U.S. Olympic Trials final for the 800. Oh, wow. One week from today, on Holy July 4th. cow. He's in the finals? He expects to be in the final. Okay. Like, he'll go to the U.S. Olympic Trials yeah. and work his way in there. But this, he's he's one of the top five or six right now. This is the same America. Shaq that played for Orlando and... Yes, Shaquille O'Neal Walker. <laughs> This Shaq is five seven one. Yeah, can 140. you imagine that Shaquille O'Neal running <laughs> the eight hundred? <laughs> yeah. I would love to see that. <laughs> that would be great. Oh, That's a great interview, guys. Again, another incredible show. NBA Football Media Day is Thursday. By Locked the way. and loaded, Matt. Be... Locked and loaded. Locked and loaded. <laughs> okay, well, make it a great one. Knock them dead, boys. Okay, we will do that. Keep us proud. Keep us proud, and keep wearing those antimicrobial suits. It's fun to watch you guys walk around the place here in your. Spandex suits. Got to protect. Got to protect, man. <laughs> squeak, 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 squeak. Bye, guys. Knock them dead. Um, yeah, man. You need. You need. Everybody needs an antimicrobial suit somewhere. You just. You need it, right? It's not just for Rio anymore. You can wear them anywhere. Okay. Here's a problem. Let's say you're a 19 year old mother uh, named Nan- Nandini. That's her name. And uh, she is from India. She's pregnant, gives birth to a 15-pound baby. <gasps> I know. 15-pounder. twenty-four uh, Measuring 24.4 inches. That is crazy. Most babies in India weigh between 5 and 8 pounds and around 20 inches. Not this one. 15-pounder. It cries like this. Ah, uh, ah, uh, mob. Uh, the the boy with the current world record in India, the boy last year was fourteen seven seven, fourteen pounds. Feed me now, <laughs> Mama. Feed me now. Is that Seymour? Oh, I love Seymour. Um, the boy was fourteen pounds seventy-seven uh, ounces, or fourteen point seven seven pounds. The the this this new baby broke the broke this broke the meter, broke the scale, broke the game. By the way, not even close to the world record. The world record in baby weight is an Italian boy 
born 19 in 1955 at 22 pounds, 8 ounces. 22-pound boy. By the way, four years old when he was born. Crazy. Way late. I, I, that kid was late. <laughs> I made that up. I made that up. I don't want you out there thinking, the, hold on, the lady had a baby that was four years old? <laughs> that doesn't make sense. I don't know why I'm talking like that. Hey, as you know, we always like to uh, end the show on a hero story. So who better than three? We're going to give you three heroes today. Three men jump onto subway tracks to save an unconscious man. Listen to this story. Three men are being hailed as heroes after they were caught on camera pulling an unconscious man from the train tracks in New York just minutes before the train came barreling through. The three good Samaritans rescued the victim, a man in his 50s, moments after he teetered onto the tracks. Without hesitation, the men jumped on the subway tracks and pulled him out. Sumeya Tulik, a witness, said the man was unconscious and bleeding. One of the men picked up the victim's belongings and put them on the platform, while the other two lifted him up from the tracks onto the platform. About two minutes later, the train arrived at the station, witnesses said. And by the way, if you have not seen those subways, nobody wants to jump down into those subway tracks to get anything. I mean, you could drop your phone and you're like, I'm good. I'll leave it there. But uh, they jumped down, saved a person, plus, you know, the third rail that could have killed him, I guess. The victim slowly regained consciousness and was taken to an area hospital where he was listed in serious but stable condition. His rescuers were not injured. So shout out to those three wonderful men that were willing to uh, risk it all. Um, And again, you're all really a hero in our eyes. We do the show because we want you to see that there's good in the world, and you are part of that good. But we we got to lift it together, right? None of us need to carry all the weight, but we can carry more than we do. So that's the show. We'll be back again tomorrow. More ideas, more tools to help you live longer and love stronger. Go check us out, though, on iTunes. Download our, uh, our work on iTunes, our podcasts on TuneIn, or just go to BYU Radio, you can, uh, .org. You can just listen to us there. You can also just go download the BYU Radio app. Folks, the idea is giving you the information, and uh, and then you, hopefully, can lift your life to a higher, healthier plane. We'll be back again tomorrow. Until tomorrow, take care, make it a great one, and we'll talk again tomorrow.